Hey everybody, oh my gosh, another episode of the Quack 12 roster review of the Pac-12. And uh, we've got a, a fan favorite back on the pod. Well, first of wow. all, we've got Hithliday. Uh, don't I'm building up to you, Jeff. Don't worry about it. Uh, first of all, we got okay. Hithliday from Oh, Hithliday's the fan favorite. No, I, I no, 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 no. Hithliday is the <laughs> local film reviewer is oh, what okay. we're saying. Uh, I like to, you know, first I get, hey, Hithliday's here. And he says his catchphrase. I, I am here. Yeah, I say, how are you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, and the fans love that part. But yep. then I, I say I'm, I'm luring so it over Jeff. <laughs> I'm so stoked <laughs> because fan favorite. Here we go. Jeff Newser. Well, fan favorite when we beat the kooks. Otherwise, I imagine there's a whole lot of episodes post uh, you know, like Coog upset victory over the ducks that yeah, we've had with you. Coogs are still four of the last seven. That are very yeah. I you know, I, I don't know. I, sometimes we do see a, a big peak in kind of that because people want to hear us rant um so so who knows uh but anyways i'm talking about jeff newser here at pod versus everyone at coog center is where you can find him and and on this show many times talking about the kooks yeah what's up guys nice to talk to you again uh yeah good to be back last season was kind of nuts for you I'll tell you that much. That's one way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) A lot happened. And I I get (laughs) losing to three, uh, three G five teams and three pac 12 teams, like, (laughs) like running the table in the pac 12, Mm -hmm. except for some of the best teams. Mm -hmm. But then not being able to be five teams. If only there was something that happened last year that, you know, would make wacky results. Totally. believable. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, You start with one coach. You end with another. Uh, or not even, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. End with another, but right yeah. in the middle there is when the switch yep. happened, which is always interesting. Yep. Uh, I mean, l- let's just get into it. A seven, six season, six and three in conference play. Uh, it I, also- I don't buy that theory at all. What are you kidding? Rolovich is not the reason why you lost to Utah state. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Did you wait? Did you watch that game? Yeah. <laughs> did you see that like crazy mm. ass diamond goal line formation they ran? Okay, but uh, Rolovich like, being a COVID touchdown? truther is not the reason why you lost. No, no, that part. No, there him him being a fairly mediocre coach, I think, is probably. <laughs> mm. But there was a sixty-four yard Borgie one uh, touchdown run. So there's that. There was. Yeah, that, that was. We'll fun. always have that. And you're still deciding on which uh, QB was going to really uh, lock down on. But uh, yeah, a 23 to 26 loss. Uh, a late touchdown gives the Aggies the win in that one. But you beat Portland State, and that's always very important Important yeah. to do, I would say. Yeah, you can't you, lose to them. I mean, that'd you be, can't lose to Portland that'd State. Be a Who's going to do that? No, especially if <laughs> that you would never happen lost... to anybody ever. No, absolutely not. Well, it would have stunk too. And on a real note here, if you would have lost to Portland State, it really would have taken a lot of the steam out of Washington's loss to Montana. That is, it would have been, it would have been like shared equally. Like, oh, the state of Washington is so bad. But no, that was the the whole spotlight was on there. There's always room for Schadenfreude. Always. (laughs) In a way, I I love this season. Truly, I mean, we're we're gonna get into it, but uh, yeah, yeah. So so you beat Portland State 44-24. Congratulations. That's that's a good thing to do. Then a loss to not a guarantee with Wazoo. 
No, not a guarantee. <laughs> as you're saying. Uh, yeah. 14 to 45 loss to USC, even though this was kind of the season to beat USC. We've been talking about this a lot. There's a lot of teams that had never beaten USC and they got, or not in a long stretch, uh, some in like decades they hadn't beaten it in the Coliseum or something like that. Yeah. And, they, and they've snapped that. Uh, no, 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 not in this one. And actually, Jackson Dart off the bench gets yeah. four touchdowns. Honestly, this yeah, is that one was... of the weirdest Pac-12 games that was this played is... all year. Clay Helton was yeah. not coaching this game. Yeah. No. And that was that was that was the Drake London special, is what that one was. Yes. Um, Drake Drake London was uh, in that game, probably single-handedly responsible for Jalen Watson dropping about three rounds in the NFL draft because <laughs> he <laughs> he absolutely annihilated Jalen, um, who I was otherwise it. a very good corner, but um, kind of got exposed there against an NFL caliber wide receiver. And uh, yeah, that was and that was another second. So the Utah State game, second half collapse, USC second half collapse. The following week, which you're going to talk about a seg Utah second half collapse. Um, this is where we were. <laughs> sort of having a little bit of, as we get off to our one and three start, uh, a little bit of an existential crisis about wondering, like, do you know, is the coaching staff in over their heads? I think I wrote something to that effect. Like, Hey, I've got this, I've seen this, I've seen this movie before. We had a guy named Paul Wolf who, uh, <laughs> you know, was just sort of like a little bit over it, a lot, a lot over his skis for, for about, you know, four years or three years or whatever it was. So anyway, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that, that USC game was a little demoralizing first half kind of hanging in there backup quarterback and then just getting shredded in the second half is uh does not make you feel good yeah drake london will do that to you 13 catches yeah. 170 yards in that game yeah including a touchdown right in front of my face in that oh. game. So, <laughs> thanks and buddy. then uh also to add uh some injury to this injury uh delora is injured in it and, yep. and you were really settling in on him it seemed like yep. uh, uh then as you said the next game 13 24 loss at utah i mean hey yep. hey no shame in that no shame in a loss of utah okay not on yeah. this podcast we don't shame that <laughs> Um, and the, and this is the point at which we realize that uh, Jared, Jared Garantano is not mm, the answer. If it wasn't mm. obvious from the first, you know, whatever, <laughs> five drives or whatever against Utah State that, um, you know, essentially cost us that game, um, you know, and then the second half against USC. And he didn't even he didn't even finish that, or he didn't play the second. half. That's right. It was. Uh, yeah. Uh, Victor Gabalus. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, second half against the There's like multiple walk-on quarterbacks who were playing for Wazoo. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was bad situation. And then, yeah, and then Utah Garantano played that game and just, you know, completely, completely ineffective. So, yeah, at least it settled the the quarterback debate, which ended up being a good thing. And we should say, uh, in that game against Utah, which ended a 13-24 loss. Uh, Wazoo forced seven fumbles and recovered yeah. three of them, <laughs> but you can't beat. I mean, this is Cam Rising's first true start. You can't beat the legend of Cam Rising, of course. I know. Well, and I remember thinking at the time, this guy's not that good. Oh, come yeah, on. he's. Damn I mean, man. he's okay. He's like, like he's he's like every other Utah quarterback. He can run a little, can't really throw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know. I, I don't He didn't really turn into a good quarterback until like you know second half of the season like yeah i, yeah. I had the same assessment yeah then so, uh 21 yeah, to 6 him. win at california Woo. uh you showed a little bit of rust at first but the return of delora comes in and yes. uh, in the return old. of the air raid like and cal just yeah. did not know how to stop it it was crazy <laughs> yeah three touchdowns from him uh yeah. which is awesome 
Hell yeah. Then uh, a 31 to 24 victory over Oregon State. Which Who, is whom, awesome. we, whom we now appear to own. Like, I think that's. Yeah. Eighth consecutive <laughs> win over the Beavers. I really had to look that up again. I that mean, some of it nice. has been legit voodoo. So that's, I mean, that's cool. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. I'm I sure you it. guys don't hate that. I mean, it's we have lost to the Beavers much more regularly than you. That is, <laughs> I mean, but then you've beaten us. Uh, I forget it's the Pac-12. None of this matters. Uh, Three hundred ninety-nine yeah. yards. No, it is. It is by far the closest. Like <laughs> Oregon has a winning record over every team in the Pac-12 over the last like twenty-plus years. But Oregon State, it's like by one game. Like, yeah, yeah no, it's it's definitely the Beavers are like the scariest team in the Pac-12. Yeah. yeah. Throughout throughout the records, man. Yeah, it's a rivalry yeah. game throughout the records. No joke. Uh, then, okay, so a team that beat us, uh, you beat versus Stanford, 34 to 31 victory. This is the fifth straight win over Stanford. Yes. There's a couple of teams, like, <laughs> that you just got their number, and I do love I know. That. David Shaw can't even, like, I mean, he can't even uh, blame it on Mike Leach's air raid anymore. Like, now he's dealing with a whole nother animal. This has got to be one thing that kook fans love about being kook fans, I imagine, is when you're blindly betting on your team. Like, regular, it's just going to pop up, and I feel like you're just going to win big, maybe a little more at least than you would think. I don't yeah. know. I forget what the betting I mean, honestly, the Stanford. fact that it was only a three-point win over that version of Stanford, I was sort of like, come on, yeah. dudes, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. you got to remember, this is, and I'm sure you're going to get to this, but, I mean, th- this is the week leading up to Rolovich almost certainly going to get fired. Right. I yeah. mean, at that moment yeah. we are like, it's all mm-hmm. the speculation. It's all the, is he, did he, or didn't he, there were rumors floating around that he had gotten vaccinated. There was, you know, nobody really knew he was being extremely coy. Like we just, you know, so all of this is swirling around. And if we know if there's anything that, you know, football programs and football coaches love is distractions. Um, you know, and so this, there was that thing floating around to be, to be honest with all of that, I was I was fairly amazed that they were able to get their shit together and beat Oregon mm-hmm. State and Stanford with that hanging over the team. I thought I thought that honestly was, um, you know, as much as Nick Rolovich was, um, you know, a pain a pain in my ass and an embarrassment to the university. Um, you know, they the, the him and the staff do get some credit for I think for uh, kind of holding it together a little bit um, to to get those two wins with with that deadline coming up. Yeah, and you're right. The the deadline did come up, and he basically said, like, hey, we're just planning like we're going against BYU. And, uh, nope, he, he got his ass fired. Yeah, so he got yeah. by. It went far from, you know, started off delivering pizzas in Pullman. Everyone loved him. He was yeah. a coach winning. And then just bad press after bad yeah. press. Rolovich is out. But then... Is it is this is this the Coog savior here? The DC Jake Dicker stank uh stands up, takes over, much much like Cristobal. Duck fans is kind of the same thing, right? So uh, a coordinator standing up, winning over the locker room. And so he steps in as a, a interim and um Rolovich and four assistants fired. Yeah, you should mention that. That is nuts. Going against BYU, who is just the Pac-12 slayer. Um and yeah, almost one, 19 yep. to 21. And I believe there was like a, a failed two point conversion. And then you had to, you know, go for it again because you missed the first one. And so that is the score 19 to 21. But I mean, you almost got these damn kooks. I, I kind of really enjoyed the BYU being a, the ultimate heel for the Pac 12. Yeah. <laughs> it, that game. 
my sort of my lasting memory of that game is that it looked like everything had finally caught up with them it is is really how it looked they were you know they they fought and they played their asses off and you know did everything that you know you could want them to do but they just they just sort of like I mean, they were just out of gas and, um, you know, you mentioned all the assistants that, uh, also were fired. Um, you know, they brought in a couple of old, you know, run and shoot old timers to come in and help with the quarterback and the, and the offensive line. And it was just, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was a big mess. Um, you know, even those guys couldn't, I think they, they only did just a little bit in the last half of the week. Cause they had to go through like their university background. Anyway, it was just mm. like, they, they were shorthanded all week and, uh, you know, the effort they put in there, you know, it, it was a bummer. They didn't win. Cause like you mentioned, you know, they were, they were in position to, you know, to potentially do something there, but also like, you know, with hindsight, um, it was just very, it was very explainable and very understandable. And, uh, you know, especially with the hindsight of, you know, the following week and, you know, <laughs> kind of how the season finished out. Um, you know, you just look at that game and go, yeah, it sucks. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it really didn't make, much of a difference in the overall yeah. season, and it's, yeah. it's pretty explainable. No, honestly, I, like, I have to do a bunch of film study on BYU because Oregon plays BYU next year. And, like, yeah. you know, I, I charted out that game in particular, you know, with a lot of interest because, you know, it it preceded the Oregon game by, I think, the two weeks. And I've got to do this BYU project. And, like, my t- major takeaway from it is, like, BYU is a pretty vulnerable team. They, they mm-hmm. should not have been in the Cougs sites given all the stuff that, you know, was going on with the Cougs. And the fact that they yeah. were was sort of like, yeah. ooh, BYU like it's yeah. it's even more embarrassing the BYU went five and zero against the Pac twelve. Yeah. Um, having you know <laughs> well, they, done the film study on that game, they really needed a game killing drive to yeah, really like win it. Um, which they got because we you know our smallish defense kind of yeah. again was sort of like tuckered out there at the end. But yeah, it was it was a bummer. But like I said, it's you know uh, I think you know in normal circumstances you know we probably come away with the win, but. You know, not normal circumstances. <laughs> mm. Well, um, don't worry because ASU, the dumpster fire that is ASU as of right now, uh, you beat them thirty-four to twenty-one on the road. This is just nuts. It's like the Five. weirdest turnover. Like <laughs> yeah. ASU, like dips the ball in Vaseline before. Yes. Five forced turnovers here. Five of yes. them. What's <laughs> maybe even stranger is with this victory. Wazoo still in the hunt for the Pac-12 North. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not going to change for quite a while as the great We're like, hell yeah, we're going to Oregon. We got a chance to win this thing, you know. I am. Yeah, yeah. So then we get to Oregon. Uh, Yes, that's right. In Eugene, Oregon. And uh, our savior, every Duck player's absolute favorite. There's no bad-mouthing this quarterback online. Anthony Brown Jr. comes out 135 yards to the air and a touchdown, but 123 on the ground and a touchdown. And the Ducks, uh, yeah, we we escape the Coug curse, which you never know. You never know when it's going to happen. And a lot of I mean, I was watching Oregon. I was ready for anyone to give us a game. So, yeah like we were playing them close for most of them yeah. so uh yeah but um i remember thinking how, how like it was that? it was uh, yeah i just remember thinking like it was kind of right there for the taking and and mm. we couldn't um but again you know playing oregon that close um i think was was a good omen for us um as you know as we saw from uh from the last couple games so versus arizona is the next one and yeah you you did what you should do against arizona honestly 44 to 18 uh borgie had a career high 139 yards 
two touchdowns uh, in his last home game. And this felt really fitting. It, it like got them no bowl eligibility. This big performance yep. from him that felt very, I don't know. That felt very good. And then like, so then we get to the, the best damn game of the entire Pac-12 season, which yeah. is the Apple for Cup. any team anywhere. <laughs> this is the best game. This was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> y'all rushed the field. Old Crimson made its way onto like down there. You, you pierced the ground. Borky had 129 yards, two touchdowns. It was the highest Coog Apple Cup win margin over the Huskies in the Apple Cup history. And actually, if Oregon <laughs> which, State, which all that does is all that does is tell you yeah. how <laughs> shitty the Apple Cup has been for us. That yeah. a, that a 27 yeah, point even, victory, yeah, a four touchdown four victory is yeah. not a 70. Like biggest, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost a four touchdown victory is like the biggest one. So yeah, I, I remember back in 2018, I was on the Coog Center uh podcast with, with your co-host. You weren't on it, Jeff. Yeah, uh, with Michael. <laughs> and uh, Michael starts out by asking, it was, it, Oregon was about to play Wazoo and was coming off of a fairly exciting win over Washington. And uh, Michael starts out by asking me, you know, how do you feel having beaten Washington? And I'm like, oh, you know, the same way you feel when you beat Washington. Or, <laughs> I, you, you do remember how that feels, right? And he's like, uh... Yeah, <laughs> how the children of Pullman do remember. I know. I, I can't make that joke anymore. I know. <laughs> now you know how it feels. Yeah. Seven it fe- honestly, three. it felt it, it felt like we were never going to win another one. Like I was just sort of like resigned was, to the fact. Was this that the first that Apple Cup win of your children's lives? Of my youngest child's life? Yes. See, that's a like that's a foundational. No. Okay, that's a life on, moment. No, yeah. no, he was. No, he was like nine months old. Yeah, so all my kids have been had been born. Yeah, my youngest was like nine months old when when we beat Washington in twenty twelve. So, where were you yeah. when the Apple Cup was won by the Cougs forty to thirteen? Uh, what so, a great season for Washington. Yeah, I was in a I was in a bar called Flatstick Pub in Seattle, <laughs> um, which is like they've got like five of them around. That but Coug alum was um, drinking, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it was. So, well, this is the thing though, like. I usually uh, sit in my basement alone with my television and my beer and everybody knows to steer clear of me <laughs> because it is going to be miserable. I am going to be swearing a lot. I am going to be not kind if you try to interact with me like like everybody just knows and understands this and I you know thank God for my family because they they love me anyway and this time though, so we have these friends who uh, recently moved out here from Missouri. Um, our, our kids went to school together, so we became friends. And they, um, the wife, it, uh, attended UW for her teaching credentials while she was out here, and so now she's this newly minted Husky, right? And she's got, you know, her chest out like, "Well, I've been told we always win this game," you know. And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's that's true. You do." It doesn't even fucking care. sucks for me. And she's like, <laughs> and they said. You know, and, and she's like not like a huge fan. She's just like, ah, oh, trying to have some fun with the Apple Cup, but she does not understand my. No, you don't understand. This is position, serious business. Right? This children's like, game I'm is like, very important. I know. And I'm trying so hard, and I'm just thinking, like, fuck, she's not going to understand. Sorry, I don't know if I'm not supposed to swear on your podcast. Yeah, you can but totally I'm just encourage like, it. Okay. All right. Good. So I'm just like, oh my God, she does not, she, she doesn't understand. And how do I, 
how do I try to explain to her? Like they suggest, they're like, maybe we should try and get tickets. And I'm like, I, I decided in 20, I want to say it was 2015. I think it was 2015 that that was the last time I would ever set foot in Husky stadium. Like it was just such a miserable experience, not just losing the game. Like the fans were really horrendous and mm. just like totally like, like completely sucked any of the, you know, just sort of fun competitiveness out of it that, that was there. And uh, you know, and I, I'm sure I was an asshole back to them and you know, whatever. And so I'm like, I'm not going to pay a hundred dollars to sit up in the corner of the stadium you know, so that I can just get harassed for four hours. And so, um, so I'm like, I'm like, how do I explain to her that I like no, under no circumstances will I ever set foot in that fucking stadium ever again. <laughs> and I finally, we finally decided like, okay, let's, maybe we'll do this. Like they just wanted to go. So they just wanted to go. So we're like, well, maybe we'll drive to Seattle. We'll go to a bar. We'll watch the game in a bar with a bunch of other people. And, and that, that also allows me to kind of pick a, pick a Coug friendly bar, you know, in mm. case it goes badly, you know, I can, I can be surrounded by people who love me. And, um, so we go, and then of course it, it goes like this and, and I'm, she's just like, she's like, I thought we were supposed to win. And I'm like, I did too, but you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> Hey, go Cougs. You know, I was, I, I, I tried to be as nice as possible, but I also, uh, I also couldn't, you know, stop smiling and and stop, uh, you know, just reveling, reveling in it for once. Cause that was, like I said, I was convinced that we would never, ever, ever, ever win another one that we were going the, I, I was convinced we were going the Oklahoma state. Like that was that it was, we were, we were doomed to maybe win one every 20 years and, and that'll be that. And so, yeah, it's, which is hard for me by the way, cause I, I, I became a Coug when we went to two Rose bowls in like five years and we had a run against the Huskies where we won three out of four in the mid two thousands. And it was like, yeah, this is, of course, this is how it is. Like psh, whatever all that history is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, it's a new era, man. We are, we are a force to be reckoned with. And then, and then we were not a force to be reckoned with anymore. Um, I, I still maintain it was really just kind of bad timing, uh, both in terms of facing Chris Peterson and in terms of the stylistic, uh, you know, the, the stylistic philosophies of both teams, uh, that it was just really, really bad luck that, that those two things coincided, but it didn't feel like bad luck, you know, as we were losing all, every year. So yes, Jaden Delora planting that flag in the middle of the Husky stadium. Uh, that is really, truly, as you might've been able to tell, the only thing I actually really remember from last season. So, <laughs> um, and that's, that's good enough. That is good enough for me. That's great. I mean, that is just fantastic. There you, you go. Know, we, Sorry, we, I just I just took over your podcast. Sorry. That's what we wanted. Hey, I mean, over a win over the Huskies that really stabbed in the heart. We love it. We, yeah, you know, that'll make the Quack 12 best of sometime. Um, not only that, but we, we they, they didn't even get mad. They did not <laughs> even get mad about us storming their field. Like they were just like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get, you know, eh, you know, Take it. Uh, yeah, it's a shitty season, I guess. I guess, yeah, I guess we deserve de this, you know, impressive sociopaths yeah. in Seattle, huh? What, what a shocker. We, we bless you with, I mean, the namesake of this podcast quack 12 is for that 12 and 0 run we had against the Huskies. We hope that you, uh, and all the other kooks have a 12 and 0 run against them. That would just be amazing. That would be gorgeous. We'd still, uh, we'd still be something <laughs> like 50 games under 500 against them, but. Really, I'd still I think ours is like eleven. We're eleven <laughs> behind them. I don't know. I'm, I'm top, off top of my head. I'm not quite yeah. sure. But um, yeah. you broke the seven game losing streak against them. We did it. We did it. And it, you almost. I mean, in another universe, the Cougs won the Pac-12 North and faced Utah in the Pac-12 Pac championship <laughs> game because all they needed were the Beavers 
to beat the Ducks. Now that did not happen, but yep. somewhere that did happen. Yep. And who knows? I mean, you probably would have held. We got to get Doctor Strange on that shit. We need yeah, to figure exactly. out which multiverse it is that Oregon mm-hmm. State won that game. And and what team would Bruce Campbell coach is the other question. Uh, Central mm. Michigan is the big bowl game here. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Uh, which I, you got to love that name. I love it so much. Uh, and this is yes. I, you just the most interesting thing for me is honestly how just the game happened where it's Boise State opts out of the Arizona Bowl which leaves the Central Michigan Chippewas to go to the Sun Bowl because Miami opted out of the Sun Bowl. So suddenly we got Chippewas versus the Cougs, and they shut down the team in the first half, uh, Washington, that is. Washington got 53 yards of total offense, and we're trailing 21-0. to zero. And uh, you did rally back. You did rally back. Yeah. And it's, it's a bowl game, and I, I don't know. It was a loss, but you got to a bowl game in, in this crazy-ass year. That must that feels like something, you know, some good momentum. Yeah. I don't think anybody, it's too much to say. I don't think anybody cared because I think people, you know, people care, but it's like, I, I don't think anybody was, I think, listen again, (laughs) we have, we have a lot of fans for whom beating Washington is literally the only thing that matters. Like it's, it's like if, you know, go to the Rose bowl, but lost to Washington, uh, you know, there's still people that complain about that from 2003. Like, it's like, you know, ah, I should have won the apple cup, you know, it's, I mean, whatever. (laughs) So with this, I think it was, there was some of that where we were all still just like, so tickled. And then we, we just sort of knew, inherently that that it might be rough i mean we knew that the offensive line was going to be missing a bunch of guys uh missing you know three missing three starters um including both tackles you know and then uh you know and then delora gets hurt um and by the way he gets hurt because the right tackle um looks like somebody who shouldn't even have a scholarship now he's someone who this coaching staff is still high on um but he was clearly so just like over his skis, uh, in that game that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Delore ends up getting hurt or, or either hurt or hurt in quotation marks, depending on, you know, which, which side you believe, um, you know, lots of rumors that he sort of tapped out at halftime was like, man, I'm not doing this shit anymore. I'm transferring anyway. Um, so, you know, there were, there were lots of rumors about that. I mean, for, for whatever's where Jake Deckard has, you know, shot those down and, um, but I also, the way he sort of comports himself, I, I would not expect anything less from him um, than to just not say a bad thing about a guy uh, on his way out. Um, so, you know, whatever. I, I Was he hurt? Probably. Could he have played? Probably. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, but he was just sort of like, eh, you know, my job's done here. And uh, I, I think, I think that's kind of what happened. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know anybody who was too, uh, I I don't personally know anybody who was too riled up about about the result of that. It sucks. I mean, okay, you lose to Central Michigan, that doesn't feel good, but you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Like, but I mean, whatever. think about how happy those Central Michigan fans are. I mean, this is this got to be. Oh yeah, I only hey, good know for them. them so somebody should be college happy. basketball tournament. I remember we've played them a couple times. Yeah. That's that's somebody should be happy. Might as well. Be yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, it took us a while, but we got through what was a a very interesting uh, up and <laughs> You said down you want to do that quickly, season. right? Yeah. That, I, you know what? I mean, that is quickly. That was a crazy season. Um, but let's get into this roster and uh, I guess a little bit of what maybe we can expect for this next season. Uh, Hithleday? 
Uh, well, before we talk to the roster, I, I want to talk about the scheme because it, it uh, it's been a, a remarkable transformation of the coaching staff. Like, you know, as I sort of mentioned, you know, it's not just Rolovich who left and, and Dickert who replaced him, but it's also four other coaches who were uh, who were let go at the same time. Um, and uh, and then on top of that, you know, Dickert seemed to want to make a change, you know, at offense. So even so, the two other coaches on the offense who were still around, uh, you got changed out too. So the offensive coordinator slash running back coach uh, Brian Smith um, was out, and the wide receivers coach Andre Allen uh, was out too. Um, they've been replaced by uh, Eric Morris, um, who has an an interesting history. Uh, he was a former player for Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Um, he's, uh, coached, you know, different air raid schemes. He most recently was at the FCS program, Incarnate Word. Um, and, uh, and, you know, brought in some other guys, you know, so, uh, uh, Joel Filani was a wide receivers coach. Uh, uh, he, he was at Texas tech as well. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so it, it, this, this really looks like a return to the air raid on offense, right? Oh yeah, this is now, I mean, it's not going to be the, you know, the, the pure air raid that Mike Leach ran mm -hmm. or, or continues to run. Right. Um, but again, nope, no, none, none of his tree runs, you know, the pure air raid that he runs, they all yeah. run, um, some, you know, hybrid system. Um, you know, you guys are obviously, you know, familiar with, uh, what Graham Harrell's doing, you know, down at USC sure. or was doing down at USC. Um, you know, uh, I'm pretty Ryan, familiar with obviously Lincoln also. Yeah, no. yeah, I did all that, all that, you know, Alamo Bowl film study was like, you know, pretty useful for USC's too. And it is remarkable. Like you're absolutely right. Everybody who comes off of Mike Leach's tree doesn't want to run Mike Leach's system. They want to like hybridize it with something else. And that definitely seems to be the, the case with Morris. Like I am seeing when I go through his tape at, um, at, at the different, because he was, a. Uh, uh, he was at Texas Tech um, as the sort of co-offensive coordinator slash co-offensive coordinator for a while um, under Kingsbury um, <clears throat> before he gets the Incarnate Word job for the last four years. And the tape that I can find on him is like, this isn't Mike Leach stuff. Like the, the route tree even is slightly different, although, you know, that's mostly uh, fairly the same. But it's like he's using tight ends. He's using real RPOs. He has a planned run game, you know, not just like the opportunistic check into a run stuff that Mike Leach would do. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it's sort of, I guess I would describe it as, as a, a spread offense or spread option offense um, meets the air raid. It would be how I would categorize it. Is that, do you think that's fair? Yeah, that seems like it. I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't dove as deep into the, you know, incarnate word stuff as you have. I, I do know, like just sort of watching some of Cam Ward's highlights, which is really mostly what I've seen. Um, you know, it's, it sort of immediately looks like an air raid offense to me, you know, like just the, um, you know, like you mentioned the route trees, things like that, just the combinations, you know, and as I'm watching guys, you know, break off their big gains, I'm like, Oh yeah, I recognize that play. Like, mm -hmm. um, so definitely that's, that's sort of the foundation. Right. And then, um, you know, like, like a lot of the other guys who have, who have come off that, that Mike Leach coaching tree, you know, they add their own little wrinkles. They, um, you know, figure out other ways that they want to do things and accomplish things. But, um, you know, but that, that, that sort of air raid philosophy of, you know, go, you know, spread them, you know, horizontal, vertical, um, you know, really try to stretch the defense, things like that. Um, you know, th those things are there. Definitely. It, my, my first impression also is that it's, it's a little bit more of an explosive offense than, um, 
you know, than what, what the, the pure air rate is. And, and that, that sort of strikes me as what most of those guys who, you know, are Mike Leach acolytes, um, that that's really what they're after is they're looking for a consistent run, uh, something that's more of a consistent run game. Even if you're still only, you know, running it, you know, 30% of the time or 35% of the time. Um, and then also some explosives, which, you know, you, you rarely get um, unless, you know, somebody makes somebody miss or something. Yeah. That, that's one of the sort of big misconceptions about um, the Mike Leach air raid uh, is that like, it's really an efficiency offense. Like it's sort yes. of like, you know, the way they're doing it is differently than the way that like David Shaw at Stanford wants to run his offense, but like philosophically, like the, the really like high level, philosophical like or strategic you know like the way that we win the game is to control the ball and yes. to methodically march down the field that's really absolutely a ball control do. offense and absolutely. and and that that's what you see it like all the different like the 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 descendants from his tree like that that's the two things that they want to do they they're like you know we we want to have more you know runs in rpos and we want to have more explosive play like we don't want to just march down the field you know six yards at a time um you know in every single throw and i, I definitely think that's true uh, of morris the other guy that i saw uh when i was watching morris's tape was cameron ward the the transfer quarterback that you mentioned well uh, let's recap what the the quarterback room looks like Jaden delora uh, who we were singing the praises of you know cougar legend for planting the flag um has transferred out cam and cooper has also transferred out J uh, jared garantano who had transferred in from Tennessee has run out of uh, eligibility and Victor Gabalas, who we were talking about a little bit, uh, the walk-on who got a substantial amount of play um, has also transferred out. Those are the four departures. If I got all that right. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. That was that. That sounds about right. In terms of returners, uh, I only count three, one of whom's on scholarship, Xavier Ward, who I don't think is related to Cameron Ward, just a weird coincidence. And then two walk-ons, Luke Holcomb and Chris Irvin, who I normally wouldn't mention, except Victor Gabalas, the walk-on, was getting so many reps. So, like, maybe it is right. worth, uh, you know. All three of those, I believe, came in the 2021 class in a redshirt freshman. The three new kids are Cameron Ward, who was Infinite Ward's um, uh, quarterback under Eric Morris. There's also two freshmen, uh, John Mateer, who I don't think, who, who is a scholarship scholarship guy low three star um but i don't think it was on campus for spring he comes in in the fall and then a true freshman walk-on who was uh on campus for spring and i actually think i saw him um for a couple of snaps uh, in the spring game um emmett brown um not the back to the future uh guy right. but uh but a <laughs> He's quarterback a doctor, yes am i, am I yeah, of course. the same guy okay so yeah. basically, you know, I count six quarterbacks, but uh, three of them are walk-ons and one wasn't present in the spring. So it's really just, in my opinion, it looks like this is Cameron Ward and Xavier Ward, and that's the end of the room. Um, I, 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 as long as we're talking about depth, uh, you know, obviously it's Cameron Ward's job. I don't think there's any debate about that. Um, <laughs> no, there's not. Um, if Cameron Ward is unavailable, how much trouble is this offense in? You know, uh, probably a huge amount, <laughs> I imagine. I, yeah, um, I mean, I just don't see anybody else who can throw the ball here, including yeah, Xavier I mean, Ward. Like, I was not wild about what I was seeing there. Yeah, I mean, one thing that, you know, we know about Mike, the Mike Leach air raid is that it takes time and it takes reps. Like, mm -hmm. that's... Um, now, this is a little, obviously, you know, as we've already kind of talked about, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, it's not quite the you know, the one, two, three, four, five progression deal that, mm. you know, Mike Leach is running on every single snap. And, um, you know, in another, you know, misconception, you know, you talk about the misconception of the, of the explosiveness of it. Cause I, I think people have memories of Texas tech, you know, 
you know, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what they think of when they think of the air raid. Well, it's, it's like, like when teams had absolutely no idea how to stop it. And so they take a, like a six yard pass for 80 yards. And then somehow in people's minds that became 80 yard passes or, or like they would see crab tree or whatever. Yeah. Right. Or you'd, you'd watch Oklahoma state or other big 12 teams that are like Texas tech adjacent and those guys are yeah. like Baylor, for example, where like right. he's taking some air raid concepts, but he's also right. writing other things. And they're, throwing the ball deep downfield but like it's really right. not part of mike leach's offense like it really right. never has been no. hey we belabored the point please please continue yes so you so you got that and then the other thing the other misconception is that it's a, that it's a, a hurry up offense it, it is not oh, yeah no hurry up offense. that was a, a, that was remarkable in mike leach's last season in pullman he finally achieved number 130 out of 130 in s p plus uh adjusted pace statistics right. like he was wow. the slowest because offense that in college football because right. that adjusted pace is going to take out incomplete passes right so right. they're like incomplete they're saying you know because it looks like oh they're running so many plays well they're running mm -hmm. so many plays not because they're running fast but because they're uh you know you throw in completions and you right you're holding the ball you've got the you know you're 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 you know, five yards at a time, six yards. At a, so anyway, so, you know, all, but the re, part, a main, a big reason why it was so slow is because, you know, you get up to the line, Leach calls in the play quarterback sort of got his option to check out of it. You know, he's assessing the defense. He's, da, 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 you know, so you end up kind of going really slow and it becomes kind of this cerebral, you know, chess match between the quarterback and, and the other side. And, um, you know, so that's why, you know, when Leach came in, it took really three years before, mm -hmm. you know, Connor Halliday sort yeah. of finally figured it out. And then, um, you know, then you would see, you know, all these other quarterbacks to come with the notable exception of exception of Gardner Minshew, who had had, you know, four years of quarterbacking, at least leading up to that. But, um, you know, all those guys had lots and lots and lots and lots of reps. And so with this, I think, you know, that's, that's the big advantage with, with Cam Ward is not just that he's all, he's had all these reps, but he's also able to, you know, coaches receivers. I want you here. I want you there. Yeah. You know, this is how I want you to do it. I, I think all of that stuff uh, makes a big difference, which is all to lead back to what you said, which is yes. Right. If Xavier Ward is suddenly the one taking the snaps, you know, I, I don't feel great about his ability to uh, process information. I mean, as, I, I like, like his tools, even if he eventually right? becomes a great quarterback, he's yeah. a redshirt freshman. And this will yeah. be the first time he's exposed right. to this type of offense. Right. So and not, it's not, not like he was a five star. Like, I'm not trying to like rub dirt in the wound or anything. I'm just like or, or rub dirt in his face or anything. It's just right. like he's a mid three star redshirt freshman who doesn't have a lot of experience with the system. Like for exactly. for as good as I think Cameron Ward will be in this offense, like that's his um, unfortunate is would yep. be if he's out. And then on top of that, like there's nobody else, right? Like, right. Like there's, there's four other warm bodies in the room and one of them's not even in the room yet, you know, like, and Mateer is, I mean, who knows, maybe he yeah. turns into something, um, you know, he'll, he'll, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably a little bit like what, what people thought when they watch. And I, by the way, please, please, please. I am not saying that he's Baker Mayfield, but mm -hmm. I am saying <laughs> stature wise, he will remind people a little bit of, of that particular guy. And, you know, I mean, there were, you know, it took him some time to find a spot too. So it's, you know, I, I, I would not anticipate Mateer being a guy who suddenly shows up and you're like, Oh, wow. Wow. Look at what we got. I don't, he may turn out to be great, but um, yeah, if we, I, it'd all, be all your chips are on Cam Ward.
like yeah, that's, that's i mean definitely on the other hand if he stays you know available for the entire season like he looks like a pretty yeah well it's interesting because like he definitely understands the system he definitely is like very cool in the pocket um like you know it was interesting watching in the spring game too because he's like this is sort of like it's a new crew for him and yet he really seemed like you know he had a good connection you know with with you know most most of those receivers and that he was like you know when the play's not there he gets rid of the ball and he's on to the next play you know like it seems like you know he processes the field you know pretty well and which is you know you definitely need that for this type of offense the other thing is that like his throwing motion is really weird he's like kind of like pushes the ball but whatever it doesn't matter like in the structure of this offense like that's fine like he's not being asked to throw like 80 yard dimes right like um right uh so like yeah i i think you know, this sort of a binary, you know, question to me, you know, if word is available for the entire season, their passing offense should be pretty decent. If he's not like they're in a whole lot of trouble and, you know, there's no in between is sort of how I see it. Yep. You think I'm wrong? No, I totally agree. Um, and I'll add this too. Like, I, I think most of our fans are in agreement that we, we've most likely upgraded at quarterback, um, that we've got a better quarterback now than we had a year ago. And that may not be true, but you know, with Delora, it's just the inconsistency could really be maddening. Yeah. Um, you know, the stuff that, you know, the, the things that he's able to do with his legs are are lovely and wonderful and, and obviously really important. And, and he really did mature as a thrower um, as the season went along. And that and that was fairly exciting. So if he had if he had stayed and Cam Ward had not come, I think we all would still feel good about about this but man with when we see what cam ward was able to do and, and of course it's fcs of course of course of course right all the caveats but it's like you know he really is a bit of a unicorn in terms of guys who have you know up transferred um from fcs you just you don't see guys up transfer especially at that position right you don't see guys up transferring a quarterback after two years at fcs you just so much of that is the the, the new transfer rules but also like you know, just, uh, you know, getting, it's just, it's very rare for a guy with his um, physical tools, you know, the arm strength, clearly good enough, uh, super quick release. It is, it is a little funky. It reminds me of like Philip Rivers, mm. kind of that three quarters arm, you know, kind of sling it kind of thing. But, you know, like, you don't, there's no one way to throw the ball. He's a big kid. Uh, you know, he's, he's, no, there he's is one not way to throw fast, the ball, but he's, that's wrong. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeff, uh, Ted, Jeff Tedford would agree that there's one way to throw the ball, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it really is just, um, you know, he's, he's not necessarily fast, but he's certainly nimble, um, you know, can move around a little bit. So I, you know, well, the most important better, thing is that's his coach, you know, like yes, he, the exactly. wazoo, you know, bought lock, stock and barrel, the incarnate word offense. And exactly. like, even if there are flaws with Cameron Ward's game, you know, like, you know, projecting him as an NFL quarterback or whatever, who cares? Like he knows how to run this offense with this coach. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like, you know, I don't really foresee any real problems at all. And, and I also yeah. totally agree with you about Jaden Bloor's inconsistency is absolutely maddening. In fact, you know, when he transferred to Arizona, Arizona, was the first uh, uh podcast that we recorded in this series is like don't bet on Jaden Delora locking that job down um the Arizona fans like I I yeah. seriously think that Jordan McLeod is it, it has a good chance to maybe even the favorite to beat him out for the jobs just like because Delora is so maddeningly inconsistent he he does have a little something I mean that and, and yeah. it, it's really it's like that unquantifiable thing that you have a hard time putting your finger on. Right. Like he, and, and believe me again, we, we've talked about this, you know, I'm as stats minded as anybody, you know, but it's like, sometimes you just have to sort of nod to something and say, I just because I can't explain it doesn't mean it's not there. 
Yeah, you're, you're talking got, about the it factor. Yeah, he's got that. And but I also think that his inconsistencies sort of limit your ceiling. I, I buy that um, too. So it's I, just I think like, it's kind of like it's it's a high floor, low ceiling kind it, of it situation. Was just, it was him, just right? so weird that like it would, you know, there'd be multiple games every season where he'd just show up and he wouldn't have it. Um right. And like, you know, when I review, you know, it's like I've done film study on every game that Cameron Ward has ever played, but I've, you know, watched a few of them and I reviewed the yeah. stats and it's just like, there's that level of inconsistency just not, does not appear in the statistical record yep. with the way it definitely does appear in the statistical record lore. So I yep. agree with you in that sense. All right, let's talk about the running backs. End of an era, uh, losing Max Borgie. Um, yeah. I, that that Womp, sound man. you heard was a, a bunch of cheers going up in Eugene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's, he was, he's definitely one of those players. It's like, yeah, I, I hated watching him against my team, but he he's a Pac-12 legend. Like, he was fun to watch. Um, also losing Dion McIntosh, who, like, I wasn't wild about when he had first come into to Pullman from Notre Dame, but, like, really sort of opened my eyes in the 2020 season. Like, that guy, you know, really turned it on. I think that's actually pretty substantial loss, too. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and losing a couple other guys, too, who oh, I don't think played uh, uh, Panay Naulu and Cole Dubots. I think those are the far departures from the running back room. Did I miss anybody? Nope, I think that's right. Okay. Um, returning uh Nikia Watson, uh, who had transferred from Wisconsin. Um, wasn't wild about that guy. Uh, only three point eight yards per carry. Um, I, I wouldn't uh bet the farm uh on him. And then but then there's nobody else in the running backs room who's gotten any other carries, right? You know, I think the only other guy on scholarship is uh Javensley Bazile, who's a mid three star in the twenty nineteen class. I, I don't think he's carried the ball yet. And then I think there's four walk-ons in the room who I was seeing in the spring game. Um and thinking that they look like walk-ons. Um, do you think I'm wrong about any of those assessments? So Javinsky Schlenbaker is also a also a scholarship guy right. who in, who enrolled early. So right, Javinsky, but he's a 2022, so we, right? Like he hasn't gotten any carries for the Cougs yet, right? Ex- correct, except for the spring game because he was he. Uh, he yeah, but he was playing against Wazoo's game. defense. Pretty much, uh, yes, also true. My, my so, point yeah, is, uh, like, it's you know, your point uh, is well taken. It is it is real sketchy. Uh, I think. I mean, I think it's going to be Schlenbaker. Um, the the true freshman like I, I think he's going to beat out um watson and bazil and the four walk-ons for the job and, and i wouldn't even have a hard time believing that the other true freshman jalen jenkins um uh who doesn't arrive till the fall i wouldn't have any difficulty believing that he's the number two back i think i'm wrong about that so yeah i i no i don't uh nakia watson for being six foot 225 runs so much smaller than that yeah um it, it was really hard to watch you know I, I think we all kind of thought all right you know here's this guy he's you know he kind of got squeezed out at wisconsin you know and, and it's a running back factory right and, and he shows up and then you know oh well you know he's not getting on the field but i mean come on we got we got max borgie we got you know Dion mcintosh who, who honestly you know mcintosh is you know, was really kind of one of the unsung guys. I, I um, think like as a pure years. running back, McIntosh is actually in some ways better than Borgie. Borgie was sort of a, a he was more kind of guys, but like McIntosh and like, I know that Borgie's like yards per, per carry number is higher, but like as a pure, like I trust this guy to pick up yes. this third and four, like I trusted yep. McIntosh. Like I, yep. I it, yeah. Anyway, they're both gone. Like I could see a universe in which Nikia Watson steps into those yeah. shoes, but like, I don't think we live in those, that universe. Yeah. Like, I mean, somehow I he's, he's got to do it. He's got to get more physical somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and that was kind of the big thing. Like, like, the, like he, he's, this is, that's his frame. I don't think, yeah, he he's get, six foot two twenty five. Like he should, and be he's able not going to gonna, like, if he becomes two forty. 
45, he's not going to be more effective. Um, right. It, it's most, it, it's a style thing as you watch him run. Like he just is not, you know, to, to borrow, to borrow, to borrow the well-worn phrase, right? Like he doesn't really run behind his pads. Like it's mm-hmm. a, um, it's just, you know, and especially after watching, um, you know, someone like Borgie who, you know, generally gets his pads square in open space and it is real slippery and hard to tackle. Um, you know, Dion McIntosh, who was, who, who had this really, really funky, like upright running style, but also was very difficult to bring down because he just like, again, would get this, you know, head of steam going and, um, you know, became very difficult to, to, to really to square up. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you watch Watson and it's just sort of like, yeah, it's not know, there. easy, easy target doesn't really run through tackles. Like, so, you know, so. so here's how I think this affects the scheme. Like if it is, if it's freshman, you know, two, two freshmen and maybe Watson, maybe Bazile, but like, you know, this run room is so green and so thin that like yes. my, here's my opinion. I, I want to hear uh, what you think about this is that even though I think, you know, from studying Morris that he's going to want to run a real uh, run game and have mm-hmm. a real RPO game based off that. That's another sort of misconception about Mike Leach that they're like, Oh, he runs a wide open offense. They must use RPOs all the time. No, not, no, not true at yeah. all. Um, Almost that's another, never. that's another thing that like every, uh, descendant of Mike Leach does this is like, screw you, dad, I'm going to run RPOs um, <laughs> that, you know, but Mike Leach doesn't anyway. Um, I think that that Morris really wants to do RPOs, but like I'm looking at this running back room and thinking and and like uh, spoiler alert, also the offensive line. Um, and I'm thinking like, I don't think he's going to be able to do as much RPO stuff right away. You know, maybe, maybe down the line, but at least like right away in 2022, I don't think it's going to be that much, or I don't think it's going to be a particularly effective run game. And I think that not having a particularly effective run game is going to limit Morris's options for, you know, doing stuff off of that run game. And that all just sort of comes back to how sketchy this running back room looks like. What do you think about that theory, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally, I, I would totally buy that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm less, I'm less worried about the running aspect just in terms of like, you know, the, uh, their ability to do it a little bit. Like I did like, you know, r- running the ball is kind of the the easiest thing to do, right. It's all the other stuff that you got to do as a running back that sometimes can keep guys from, um, you know, getting the, the time on the field that they want, you know, with, especially with an air raid, you know, you have to be able to block, you have to be able to pick up a blitz, mm-hmm. you have to be able to, you know, know what to do there. And, and, you know, I mean, there were, you know, over the well, years, and you Mike have Leach, to be able to like run out and catch passes, which like right. that's the other thing about Watson is yep. I don't think he ever, I don't think he was ever targeted um, yep. last year. No. And that's part of that was the run and shoot also like they, the run and yeah, shoot almost never throws to the running back. So, I mean, that that's part of it, but it's like, but it's not well, all of except it. for the and, 30 catches that Borgie and McIntosh got last year. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of those were screens designed screens, sure. but yeah, it's, but you got to exactly. have hands is my point. Yes, it's like, and, and like, I don't think Watson yep. has hands. We, like, we don't know. This we, is the dump on Nikia Watson show. Um, <laughs> I, I he, don't mean look, to be, I hope his he parents well, aren't I'm just saying what he showed. You know, it, guys have, you know, guys have uh, stepped out of what they've shown in to, to do something completely different. Um, you know, they can grow, they can improve, they can figure something out, something clicks, you know, whatever. So he may, you know, maybe that four star running back sure. talent is still in there somewhere. Right. You know, but um, I'm just saying, you know, what we saw, you know, and was a guy who, you know, again, was just not, not real impressive. So, um, you know, he may, he may be that, but. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're if we're talking about probabilities, 
you know. But, okay, so if we if we assume that that is true, if we assume that the only running back they have is uh, 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 Schlen Baker, and he's a freshman, and you can't you know construct your offense around a freshman, do you buy the the theory too that that means that like well the the options for this offense to be a whole lot different from a standard Mike Leach air raid are constrained. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know how they will, they will adjust. I I do think they're going to give them, you know, like every chance to do the thing the way they want to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they, they publicly, they, they, you know, are like, Oh, you know, we believe in Nikia. We believe in Nikia, you know? Okay, great. Yeah. Whatever. So Mm. I, I, and I don't think that that's just mere lip service. You know, I do think they're going to give, you know, give guys every, like, like really give it every shot to do it. So I don't think they're going to overreact, you know, too early to, if things aren't quite going the way they want, I don't, I don't think that they are going to, you know, suddenly go, well, shit, this ain't working. You know, you know, let's, let's throw the ball 65 times. Like I, I, I think that they are going to really try to, to do the thing the way they want to do it. And and if it's clear that it's not working and they can't coach them up, then, you know, I could see that, but, but I do, you know, I ultimately the offensive coordinator is accountable to the head coach, right? Mm-hmm. So unless your offensive coordinator is also your head coach, um, you know, if the head coach is like, you know, I want this, then, you know, the offensive coordinator is going to do everything he can to, to deliver that. I mean, I'm a Seahawks fan, right? Like I've been watching this for 10 years. You, you think that Jake Dickert as a defensive head coach is going to insist on a running game because defensive head coaches tend to do that. Pete Carroll style. So whether it's there or not. Yeah. I think it's inarguable that we ran the ball more after Nick Rolovich was fired than we did before he was fired. So you know, I think, I think that is a part of his philosophy. Now I was really, I was like, okay, when they hired Dickert, my first thought was that was uh, definitely not what I wanted. Um, I was not happy. I was not hmm. pleased. I thought it was a bad idea. Um, mostly because, and again, this, you know, this could be Trump. I, I was talking with a Husky fan last night. I was, I was playing poker last I'm night sorry. with a Husky fan and he's, he's a wonderful man. He's, he's actually, he's one of the good ones in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't, talk too much shit and he's really kind. So, uh, very rare, very rare combination. Um, but he, you know, we were talking about DeBoer and I said, look, I'm, I said, he get, he just gives me like these Paul Wolf vibes where it's like, you know, he just, he brought his whole crew from Fresno state and that's who he's going to ride with. And it's like, man, the same Fresno state anymore, you know, and the same thing that happened when Paul Wolf rolled into Pullman. I'm like, bro, this ain't, this ain't Cheney. Like this is, this is the pack 12, you know, or pack 10 at the time when he got here. Um, and so it's like, you know, and, and so with, um, with Dickert having, you know, zero head coaching experience other than trying to stick his fingers in the holes of the good ship Rolovich, it's like, uh, you know, I, d- is this what I want? It, the hires that he made with his coaching staff, I went, okay, all right. That, all right. Now you've got my attention now, right? Like Eric Morris is not, you know, granted he comes from FCS, but it's a guy who has extensive, you know, power five coaching experience other than that. Um, you know, deep, deep recruiting ties in Texas, um, you know, and then some of the other guys, you know, Mark uh, Atuaya, who they brought in to coach the running backs, you know, again, long, you know, like long resume, power five resume, you know, Clay McGuire. Yeah, he was know, in Virginia you know, uh, most yeah. recently, right? You know, and then bringing yeah, these guys Clay back. McGuire from USC, who frankly, I don't think much of, but he was certainly a power five coach. But he's been he's been the offensive line coach at Texas Tech, at Washington State, at USC, like you know. So all of that, you, you know, you put all that together, it's like, yeah, like he he has hired guys who I think are competent, um, but he does have, I think, his core philosophies, and I, and I do think that 
you know, effectively running the ball, even if it's only 35%, right. Or 40%, right. Even if it's still 60, 40, 65, 35, something like that. It's to him. I think that's just core philosophies. He's, you know, we, we sort of jokingly mentioned Pete Carroll, but he's definitely like a, you know, we're going to be physical football's meant to be physical. And it's, you know, he definitely has that kind of defensive. Um, we are going to set the tone, you know, sort of attitude toward coaching the game. And I, and I, even if it's going badly, I just don't, I, you know, I give him huge amounts of credit for hiring an air raid guy and, and, and not doing, you know, the Pete Carroll thing. Um, so I think that's amazing, but I also think that he's going to be like, nah, you know, we need to, you know, I, I don't know if there's a number, you know, I don't know if he's saying we need to run the ball this percentage of the time, but I, I do think there is a, Hey man, we, we cannot stray too far from this because this is our, you know, this is again, the buzzword, but identity, this is our identity. Yeah. This is the identity that I want for the program. And you guys are familiar with that, right? With, yeah, no, with Cristobal, it was, it was same kind of deal. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a well-debated subject, like how much, like it's sort of interesting, like, you know, Cristobal is one kind of guy and then he hires Joe Moorhead, who's like a very different kind of, you know, thing. And it's like, who's yeah. really in control here. And I mean, honestly, like when I sort of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but just sort of preview for the rest of the offense like what i see when i look at where the talent is and where the talent isn't for the cougs like i like i definitely see a wide open air raid type of you know uh you know you know, Eric Moore's stuff looks like it'd be way more successful than the the stuff that you're attributing to Jake Dickert. Um, and so it will be interesting, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting storyline to keep track of um, for yep. Wazoo in 2022 is if, in fact, there is some conflict there or, or discrepancy there, you know, it should be interesting. All right. Uh, now to say something which, um, as far as I'm aware, has never been said in the era of podcasts. Uh, let's talk about all of Wazoo's tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. That might be true. I count six guys in the room, although I think four of them are walk-ons. Uh, I, I, there are no departures, um, but the tight end unit is kind of new for Wazoo, so that's not a big surprise. Um, I count uh, three returners, uh, one who's on scholarship, Moon Ashby, who's yep. a mid-three-star, um, and then two walk-ons, uh, Jake Bowen and Cooper Mathers, um, although I think that Cooper Mathers is more just sort of like a blocking H-back. And then I count uh, three new kids. There's uh, uh, North Dakota, the FCS, not North Dakota State, North Dakota of the Sioux, um, Billy uh, Riviere, uh, although I don't, uh, although I don't think he played, I don't think any of the, the tight ends have played. There's uh, Travis Ward, like one of the 20 guys named Ward on this team. And that's because Travis <laughs> Ward is Brian Ward's son, the, the defensive coordinator from Nevada. Um, Travis Ward was a player at Nevada. I think he's sort of walked on to be like, hey, I'm going to follow my dad. I don't know that he's a real serious option. He also didn't play at all in Nevada. And there's, so I sort of, by process of elimination come to, there's only one option here at tight end, which is Andre Dollar, the high um, three-star uh, true freshman who was recruited in the 2022 cycle and was an early enrollee. We saw him in the spring game. Have I missed anybody? Those six guys? Nope. That's about it. And and to be honest, I'm I'm mildly surprised that they haven't, uh, you know, found anybody else <laughs> sort of off the scrap heap. Yeah. Uh, I, to I, I guess I'm surprised too. Like, I didn't think that Andre Dollar or Moon Ashby looked ready to play um, in the spring game. Yeah. Yeah. Nor, nor would you expect them to be. Yeah, right. no, I, I wouldn't, you know, it obviously it's very, you know, it, it's a new position, you know, uh, may, maybe down the road for dollar. Like he's, uh, you know, I, I can see the talent, Um, you know, I, I can see in his frame why he was a high three star, you know, and some expectations for him. But like, you know, there's 
like I said, there's six tight ends in the room. I don't believe a single one of them has played an NFBS football game, right? Nope. Uh, yeah, I, I Moon Ashby, I, as far as I know, has never seen the field. So um, I don't. I don't really have any expectations for this unit at all. Um, like, I don't mean like I don't have high expectations. I mean, literally I have no expectations for this yeah. room. I think, you know, this was something else I was sort of saying about Morris is that like, I think down the road, he's going to want to incorporate tight ends into his offense. But for 2022, I just don't see it as reality. And that, you know, we're probably going to see four wide, you know, on, on virtually every snap. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I think that that makes logical sense i but again you know back to i i just think you, you think dickert's going to force him to put a tight end on the I, field i don't think it's like i i really don't think it's a hey you will you will run a tight end like i i, I really don't think it's that but i do think it is hey is really important that we run the ball and at least at least some at least occasionally that we're physical that we are okay all that identity stuff we talked about so mm. if that's the case then i think they will figure out a way to use someone <laughs> you know i actually wouldn't be to, surprised if you're right and it's cooper mathers the yeah uh that's and, what i but mean. just so as a blocker like all he's there. doing is lining up as an h back exactly. and like wham blocking people or running a decoy route, you know, just, yeah. just something to take up some space out in the field, you know, draw, draw a defender, not, not a real serious receiving option, but you know, just somebody to, to, you know, to run a little, little crossing route to, to draw the, you know, the linebacker or whatever. Like I, I, I think it'll probably be something like that. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there's a guy on this roster who gets 10 catches this year. Yeah. right at tight end like i don't I, that would not shock me at all i do think you'll still see especially on early downs i still think you'll see that uh, one of those guys out there whoever is the most effective blocker probably um you'll see that guy out there i, and, I sort of uh, suspect that even though a dollar probably has a higher ceiling and is the future of the tight end usage in pullman that he'll redshirt this year and that we'll see you know ashby on a couple of you know yeah for, and they've got in, four in that role that you're describing yeah well, we'll keep our eye on it. I mean, it's it, it'll be interesting to watch like air raid concepts married to, um, you know, tight end usage like like Graham Harrell, yet another, you know, former leech guy who's sort of going his own way. Like it, when he was at North Texas, he was definitely using tight ends, um, frequently multiple tight ends and a fullback. Um, uh, and then he went to USC and snuck it up. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's talk about the wide receivers. Um so uh, a lot of departures here, right? Um, losing uh, Calvin Jackson and Travell Harris, uh, who were the big time um, receivers. Um, losing uh, Joey Hobart, who uh, I, I, I was you know backup guy. Losing a couple other guys who I don't think played, um, but transferred out. Uh, Marshawn Buchanan and uh, 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 Billy Popsill. Um, and then uh, uh, Brandon Gray, I think, took a bullet. Um, well, actually, let me stop there. Uh, First of all, are those six guys are the departures, and second of all, what's what's Brandon Gray's status? Yeah, uh, don't really know. <laughs> I mean, it was really uh, scary. Um, I mean, as far as we know, he's, as far as we, yeah, I mean, he's alive. Uh, we know yeah. that, which is great. Um, which is, of course, the most important thing. Um, got you know, there was an altercation involving a gun. Um, he took a stray bullet. Uh, was in the hospital. Uh, somebody else did die um, yeah. in the situation. So, um, so it was super scary. Um, but he does appear 
Um, he, he's not on the roster. So I, I, you know, I would assume that he, um, you know, is, is taking you know, some sort of medical situations. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not trying to be macabre about the situation. I'm yeah. just like trying to figure out like, is this a situation where he comes back to the team and is like, I'm guys, I've got over my gunshot wound and I'm ready to be a Coug or is he medically retired? Like, I'm just trying to figure out. Fill yeah. The truly now. don't know. Yeah. Okay. Truly don't know. I mean, like, like most programs, you know, they are tight lipped about anything involving people's roster scholarship status. I mean, um, I mean it would be like, I mean, it'd be like front page news, right? If he came back to the team, it was like, I, I got over a gunshot wound. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it'd like, be that'd a, be awesome. You know, All right. Of the returners, there's, you know, three guys who were, you know, in serious rotation last year, uh, uh, Dijon's uh, Stribling, uh, I think sort of the primary one, and I'm expecting to be the primary receiver. And then uh, Lincoln Victor and Donovan Ollie, you actually called Ollie last year um, when we had our conversation. So good work. Um, yeah. I'm right every once in a while. The one that I was sort of, and then like basically nobody else catches any balls. And the one that I was surprised by, and maybe you have an answer for is Renard Bell. Um, yeah. What, what was the story there? Yeah. Just uh, injuries, man. Like uh, blew out his knee mm. um, heading into the season. I, I believe it was, or maybe it was even spring. I like, I, I honestly don't remember, but um, you know, blew out his knee, had, had a, you know, devastating knee injury. Um, you know, little guy, right. Five, eight, one sixty five. Uh, but fast, real fast. And so, um, you know, was, was real excited to see him stick around for a sixth year. I think that's, I think that's huge. It's he, he has been around long enough to catch a bunch of balls from Luke Falk in the air raid yeah. and then see the air raid, uh, turn into the, the run and shoot and then see the run and shoot turn back into the air raids. So, yeah, no, I mean, he was, um, he was a, a 2016 guy. Like it's, he's, yeah, he's the old yeah, man. Pretty incredible, pretty incredible story. So Is he, yeah, very, I, I don't think I'm really I saw excited him. to have him. Uh, it's definitely a cool story um that you know that he, that he's back although i'm not sure if he's back because i i didn't see him in the spring game what is is yeah i i i assumed that they're just bringing him along slowly okay. um you know this is a guy who does, truly did not need spring practice like you know he'll he'll Fair ramp enough. it up for the i mean season. if the guy doesn't know how to know how to play football by now yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know no reason to expose i mean again he's a little dude um, you know, no reason to expose him to, to extra hits, especially after, uh, everything he's been through to get back to this point, um, and, and deciding to stick around and stick it out for another year, um, and finish his career the way he wants to, um, you know, you, you just would hate to see something happen in a spring game. I mean, if it happens sure. in week one next year, it happens in week one, but it's like, you don't want that to happen in a spring game. So, so then I, that, that was my sense. There are some interesting newcomers. Uh, Robert Farrell uh, also travel uh, transferred from Incarnate Word, um, where he caught like seventy five passes from uh, uh, Cam Ward last year. Um, got uh, Oregon State's like uh, a top receiver from Oregon State, Zariah Beeson, uh, transferred in. Although I don't think I saw either of those guys in the spring game. I think they're they're going to arrive in the fall. Um, and uh so i you know and then um uh the uh, kind of interesting one a division two transfer uh drake owen who i was seeing in the spring game uh catch some passes you know i sort of see between uh the returners stribbling and victor and ollie and then the new guys Farrell, beeson and owen i i think that's i, I you know that in my opinion those six guys are your rotation and then everybody else's depth 
you know, I was primarily seeing walk-ons playing in the spring game. And the only other one I sort of have questions about is CJ Moore, you know, from Oklahoma State uh, is sort of like a a wild card, like whether he'll really contribute or not. What do you think? Yeah, well, you wanted to give me credit for Donovan Ali, my Donovan Ali call last year. The the thing you didn't mention is that I said, well, on the other side, CJ Moore is a locked in starter. Yeah, right. And, and like that guy, did, I, I don't think we saw him at all. <laughs> he he played he played about uh, he played a little bit early in the season was was quite unimpressive. Uh, came back a little bit later in the year, played one series, dropped a touchdown pass right in mm-hmm. his hands, and we all went like, "Well, okay, this <laughs> like this is why he's not playing." Um, so you know, I I again, he's another guy where we go. He's kind of along the Nikia Watson idea. We go, you know, this is a guy who was a four star guy. Once upon a time, um, maybe that's still in there somewhere. So, you know, clearly has the other physical attributes. It just sort of seemed like he maybe did not totally understand what he was doing on the field. Um, and the hands looked really shaky. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe he's a lost cause. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's why um, I say, I, you know, I, I have him labeled yeah. as a question mark and we're just going to yeah. have to wait and, and yeah. find out. But, you know, here's my point is that like they're losing a ton of production with yeah. Calvin Jackson and Travell yeah. uh, Harris and to some extent, Joey Hobart. However, yep. what I am seeing is a bunch of guys who know how to catch footballs, you know, on this yep. team, you you know, between Scribbling Victor and Ollie, the returners, yep. uh, Farrell and Beeson, the transfers, uh, maybe Drake Owen, maybe CJ Moore, maybe Renard yeah. Bell is healthy. Yeah. And then and then there's still one, two, three, uh, th- three other scholarship guys, a true freshman and three walk ons like yep. it's a very big wide receiver room. It is relatively experienced. Um, looks like a lot of depth here. You know, are any of these guys, you know, the most talented dudes in the world? Surefire NFL guys? Probably not. Um, but they know how to catch footballs and that's really all you need yeah. to do in the air raid. And so yeah. therefore I think that the wide receiver unit is like the, that's the strength of the offense. And that's why I've been asking you all these questions about, you know, Eric Morris and the tight ends and the running backs when I'm just like, throw the ball to the wide receivers. Just like, yeah, that's what, all you need to do. <laughs> and you've been pushing back on me and saying like, well, well, maybe Dickert is going to say otherwise. So I don't know. It's an yeah. schematic question. I, I mean, I think what you'll see obviously winning games everybody is what everybody wants. Right. So, you know, I think there's going to be this, this little bit of a, of a, of a delicate dance of, you know, how do we um, maintain the identity that the head coach wants us to have while also, you know, actually moving the football. Right. So, um, you know, I, I just, I just can't see them abandoning it, but I also can see them saying, okay, you know, high leverage situations, you know, let's go to the bread and butter. And with the, with these guys, the bread and butter is going to be four wide. Like, like that's going to be that it's, it's going to be Stribling. It's going to be bell. It's going to be Lincoln Victor. It's going to be Donovan Ollie. And it's going to be, let's, let's get those guys the ball. And, 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 and I think the guy who, uh, I, you know, I think Stribling is a stud and, and hopefully it's not just because, you know, obviously you can get yourself into trouble trying to kind of project you know, a linear projection of a guy, right. You know, Oh, well he comes in plays like this as a freshman. Of course, he's going to get this much better as a sophomore and this much better as a junior. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's really easy to do that, but um, you know, if he continues to develop, given what he showed last year, you just like, you think, okay, this guy is, you know, potentially a really good, you know, pack 12 wide receiver. And then Lincoln Victor, you know, it's, it's really easy to kind of, um, you know, poo-poo his production a little bit just in terms of go, well, you know, he's 
you know, he was, he was a quarterback in high school and he was a walk on at Hawaii. And then he transferred to follow. I mean, is he really that good? Um, I'm here to tell you he is. Um, so if, if this is my Donovan Ali call for this year is that Lincoln Victor is, um, really, really, really good. Um, and the only reason this moment right now, yes. (laughs) The only reason that he was not more highly recruited was that he didn't play. Um, he didn't play wide receiver in high school. He played quarterback because he was the best athlete on the team for a powerhouse for a team in Washington. Uh, but also it was in Camus, which is sort of in the, you know, sort sort of the in-between land, right. Where it's like, okay, you're not really Oregon, but you're also not really Washington, even though you're in Washington. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes, so it's I've like driven past Camus. Yes. Times. Yes. So, um, he is a really, really, really excellent athlete. And a, a, a he is just scratching the surface of what he can do as a wide receiver. So he is going to kill it um, from that from that wide receiver spot. Um, so I yeah, I think I think you're right. I think when when push comes to shove, I do think they're going to lean and rely on that that four wide. But um, I mean, you know, I just, yeah, I just yeah. don't think they're going to I don't think they're going to default to it. I just think it's going to be it's going to be a hey, this is our thing. But we also got to do this other thing. I mean, I'll put down a marker, you know, uh, it's third and three, uh, you know, they got to get a touchdown on this drive. Um, right. Uh, most offenses are either going to run the ball or they're going to like dump it off to the tight end. I don't think this wazoo in 2022 is going to do that. I think it's going to be, you know, a, a, you know, a little smash route, you know, to a wide receiver. Cause I think the wide receivers are going to be the strength of this team. I do not that that is not a situation where I think they're going to be dogmatic. And I think that is, um, you know, again, as we talk about kind of like what, what are we getting in Dickert, um, which we haven't talked a ton about, but it's also like, you know, my fears are, Oh my God, you know, defensive coach, but it's like what I saw last year was a guy who was, who had his philosophies, even if he didn't overtly state them. Um, but also a guy who was not, who was pragmatic. You know, he's like, yeah, we're here to win games, right? So if we got, if we have to stray from the game plan just a little bit in this direction in order to get the job done, then we'll, we'll get the job done the way we need to get it done. And we'll just keep our eyes on the big prize, which is, Hey, this is how I want to build the program over however many years. If, if we have to take a short detour along the way in order, you know, for, to be pragmatic, then that's, that's what we'll do. And I have every confidence that, um, you know, that, that there will be this balance. He does want to do this thing, but ultimately they're going to be pragmatic about how they approach, especially high leverage situations. Well, I mean, we'll find out, right. Cause I mean, other than the, the last couple of games of the 2021 season, this is going to be the first time that Dickert's a head coach. Like we just like, right. we'll, we'll find out what his relationship with it. Right. Uh, and not just keep trying to keep the ship afloat. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we'll find out like, is he going to be pragmatic or is he going to be insistent on something that's, you know, maybe he doesn't have the talent for, you know, uh, wait and see everybody. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the offensive line. So losing quite a bit here, um, losing both of the tackles, uh, Liam Ryan and Abraham Lucas losing, uh, uh, one of the two centers, Brian green, uh, and losing one of the two right guards, uh, Cade Beresford. Have I got that right? Yep. A bunch of other departures, too, uh, of guys who might have played. Um, uh, James McNaughton uh, transferred out, said so it's Sam Carroll. So Dylan McGinnis, said so it's Sir Riley. Blake McDonald is not listed on the team. So I count uh, nine departures from the offensive line room, including a bunch of guys who, like, I might have thought uh, could slide in. Uh, did I miss anybody? No, I mean, it's hard for me to keep track of them all, but <laughs> it sounds about right. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of departures. <laughs> it's a lot. 
it's a lot. And then as you alluded to in the um in the bowl game, they had a bunch of guys, you know, out. And so they're sort of like rotating and testing a lot of offensive line. And boy, I wasn't wild about it. You know, they gave up just a ton of sacks um in that game. And then when I turn on the spring game, like I, I didn't I mean, I didn't see any different. Like what I saw was last year's left guard, um, Jarrett Kingston, um, sw- sliding over and playing left tackle. Um, and I saw last year's one of the right guards, Maaki um, Fifida, uh, sliding over and playing right tackle. And um, I saw uh, Connor Gomnis, who was one of the two centers last year, continuing to snap the ball. That's sort of as expected. But the, yeah, basically the, their solution to losing the tackles is to slide the guards out to tackle. Usually not a great idea. That is my opinion. Do you think that that (laughs) opinion is incorrect? No, I mean, it's, you know, guys who are playing guard are usually playing guard for a reason. It's a scary situation. Yeah. You know, the bowl game, Christian Hillborn, uh, true freshman, Mm -hmm. starts out a right tackle, looks, you know, like I I felt horrible for the kid. Like it's, he got put in a, in a really, really tough situation where he, where he had to, or he had to try and, and swim and, and, you know, they left him out there for three series, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was like, somebody's going to get killed yep. if he, if he's out there much longer. Yeah, it, it really um, looked, I mean, like genuinely scary. Like, uh, yes, I, I felt terrible for him. Um, he did come by the way. It's, it's, it's worth noting, or at least it's, I, I think it's fair to note fair to him to note that he did come out and play more snaps in the second half and looked way less bad. So, uh, you know, I think, I think he kind of settled down a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, Fafita is a guy who, who I have been super high on since the time they signed him actually, um, you know, was, was really kind of a prototypical, um, you know, he signed with Mike Leach, um, and with Mason Miller and, and Mason Miller had this propensity to sign sort of smaller guys with, with really good frames, um, maybe athletic feet type guys, you know, who they could, you know, essentially blow up and supersize, right. And offensive linemen, they, they felt like that was, um, that was their, their, their market inefficiency that they were going to try and capitalize on. And Fafita was one of those guys and he, um, you know, he got big, of course. <laughs> so mm. he's over 300 now. Yeah. Um, I, I think he has lost a little bit of the athleticism that yeah. he had when he was smaller, um, which is, which is a little concerning. Um, cause I always thought, yeah, I mean, this is a guy, you know, honestly he, he was giving me like Andre Dillard vibes, you know, when he was young, uh, brand new, like I'm looking at him going, yeah, this guy is hella athletic and, you know, holding his own again, you know, he, he can't really get the push cause he's not big enough, but you'd put him in yeah. pass pro, drills and watch him just stonewall dudes. And you're like, wow, this is really good. So, you know, I I think it remains to be seen whether he can kick out to right tackle. Um, He does not strike me as a left tackle anymore. Right tackle. You know, I think maybe he could hold his own out there, Um, but it is, you know, that that's, that's all just to reaffirm what you said, which is it's, it's a, it's a big ass mess, man. It is. um, It's kind of scary. I'm, I'm glad there's a, an experienced quarterback playing behind him because, you know, it's I, I am fond of saying that sacks are a quarterback stat, and I think that um, at least they've got a quarterback who, you know, might be able to save himself with uh, with sure. throws that get out get get out of his hand before he gets, you know, murdered. Well, let's finish recounting the mess before we talk um, implications. Uh, you mentioned Hillborn; uh, he was the guy who I was seeing playing uh, the new right guard um, in the spring game. The other yes. the, the other new guard that I was seeing was Roderick Tia Levea. Yep. 
they're high on i know they're high on him too i i think that those five are probably going to be the starters um in 2022 so left to right um it'll be yeah. uh jarrett kingston tia Levea, uh gomnes at center hillborn at right guard fafita at right tackle and, and i think those are the five guys that they've just sort of determined are their best guys well it would be hard to who else is there? I mean, that's, I mean, right. that's sort of my next question is that like the, the five guys that I was seeing in the second rotation in the spring game were, were all walk-ons um, or right. almost all walk-ons. Um, th- those were uh, Jack Wilson, Charles Waverly, Brock Dew, um, Jemias Tafia and Quinn McCarthy. Uh, every one of those dudes is a walk-on except for Dew, who was a low three-star um, and a right. red shirt freshman. They're, they're all kiddos. They're all walk-ons. Um, and as far as I can tell, there's only two scho- other scholarship returners that we haven't mentioned yet, which are uh, Fa- uh, Le'ili uh, Fa'amoe and uh, Dylan Kilani. Um, and those guys, yeah. I, I uh, there were 2020 recruits. I didn't see him in the spring game. It sort of looks like they've gotten passed up um, because if they were really options, they would. Those guys are built like tackles, um, right? Like six five two ninety, right? Um, right. I, I would think that if those guys were playable, that they would be playing tackle. And the fact that they're sliding guards out to play tackles and are playing walk ons in the spring game indicate to me that those guys, you know. Are, are not going to be ready to play and and that that's my conclusion like I, I don't this this strikes me as not just a mess but like there's no depth like none yeah. like like if someone in those the five that we just mentioned um again kingston uh uh tilavea gomnes uh hillborn fafita if one of those guys gets hurt like it's real bad news because I don't think they have anybody else they can plug in who's playable right now. Um, do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. The only guy uh, that I would, um, you know, sort of maybe keep your eye on a little bit was a, is a grad transfer grant Stevens uh, from Colorado state. Um, mm-hmm. He's, he's a tackle. Um, I think he could be a guy, um, you know, who gets in there and uh, you know, maybe, competes for some minutes or competes for some, some snaps this fall. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy also, you know, would not be shocked if they, again, you know, <laughs> kind of talk about tight ends. Right. And, but, you know, maybe looking off the, looking on the scrap heap, uh, you know, maybe somebody who, you know, I'll, you know, whatever heading into fall camp is like, I've lost my spot or whatever. And then they I'm transferring it. I, I don't know. It's like, it's, it really is. It, it really is extremely, um, slim pickings <laughs> in terms of, I mean, what they've got. It, it really is. It really is scary. What could happen? Well, the, so. I mean, they really went, I, I mean, I think the other piece of evidence that they know that they're in trouble is how hard they went, um, in recruiting, uh, uh, offensive lineman in the 2022 class i count six yes. um yes. offensive line recruits including uh two guys who i think are twins right luke and landon yep. roten um yep. I, it, I mean it just seems like very obvious they were like we're in trouble um at this position and that's why we're taking an fcs transfer and six true freshmen and yep. that's why we're trying out walk-ons in the spring game um because this is like yep. danger zone yep Okay, so then here's pivoting to implications for the offense. And the reason why I've been trying to like goad you into this the the entire time we've been talking, Jeff, is that like I look at this roster and my my 
inference is the most, you know, pragmatic thing to do would be get the ball out of the quarterback's hands immediately because the offensive line can't hold up and they don't have a running back and they don't have any tight ends, but they do have a good deal of wide receivers. They have a quarterback who knows how to distribute the ball in a system that he's, you know, familiar with and that there's a good version of this offense in which they do not try to hold the ball for more than about half a second um, and they don't try to run the ball and they don't try to throw it to the non-existent tight ends um, and they, you know, really don't do anything at all except for you know really pretty air raidy stuff and there's a bad version of this offense in which they try to do those things because they really really want to um and can't because none of the other positions have any um uh playable power five guys in them uh and that i'd be worried as a wazoo fan that um the bad version of the offense is going to rear its head um whether they fans want it to or not uh what do you make of uh that whole rant jeff yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a range of outcomes there, and if the offensive line isn't at least serviceable, then yeah, it's 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 highly likely to be be a total mess. Um, you know, I just think that if you have, I I feel like if you have a good quarterback, you got something, right? Sure. Like it's at least you got something, and with as as you mentioned, you know, with the quarterback, with the wide receivers, um, you know, your top four there are, are very talented and proven productive guys, um, you know, and then you've got a, you've got a quarterback. If you can do that, you know, should be able to at least have a, a serviceable offense. Um, and if the, you know, if the line can come together, I really do think that the line is, uh, is truly the difference between, you know, this offense could be, you know, fairly mediocre to this offense could actually be pretty damn good. I so. mean, that's a, that's the thing is that there really is a wide range of outcomes that, that, that I, when I look at this roster and I, you know, turn it into my crystal ball, I see, you know, there's one path where this is actually a really lethal, scary offense if they lean into where they have their strengths, which is yeah. quickly getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands, which like say what you will about Cam Ward. And I think there are some things to say about him. I really don't like his throwing motion, but that guy processes the field real fast and makes, you knows where the ball is supposed to go in the structure of the offense and has good wide receivers who can catch the ball. Like, and if that's all they do and they stick to it, like this is a lethal offense, like it's terrifying, but if there's some pigheadedness and they try to do stuff that they don't have the talent for, like try to do a progression passing system um, or some, all the other things that I mentioned, like it could be really, really bad because there's such a talent void for, you know, the other positions. And like, I don't know what's going to happen because Dickert's a new coach. Like that's, that's would, that's what would have me on tenterhooks if I were a Coug fan, you know, might, might drive me to drink. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I think there's just a lot of optimism. Um, you know, air raid is always going to make people smile. Well, not everybody, but you know, there's, there's old people who think they throw the ball too much, but, but for the rest of us who have brains, uh, you know, that, that makes us smile. And, and like I said, I, you know, given what I saw last year, I just, I, I think that Jake Dickert's pragmatic and I, you know, if he has to sacrifice a little bit of, you know, preference in order to be, to get some results, I think, I think they're going to be willing to do that. So I, yeah, I I would not. I, I yeah, again, mentioned Seahawks fan here. All right. Um, I, I don't I don't anticipate Jake Dicker going full Pete Carroll and All right. you know deciding. I'm setting, his, I'm his setting way. the Google Calendar reminder right yeah. now to remind me to yeah. ask you next year whether or not you want to fire Diggert for being. Yeah, there. yeah, so yeah. Right <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I you know I have no idea how it's going to go, but I again, just the fact that he put his faith in in a guy who's running a pretty open offense, you know, tells me that he on some level gets it that, you know, Pullman is a place where, you know, this is just what we do. 
You know, we, mm. we run offenses like this and, you know, if you, if you're going to get it done here, you better, you better be able to find some guys who are odd sized, um, in order to, to sort of make it work. And, um, you know, we've been doing this now for like 50 years, you know, throwing the ball all over the yard more than everybody else. And, you know, so I think, I think Dicker, uh, you know, again, like I said, I was skeptical, but he's, you know, made all the right moves and in, in the offense, I think is, is one of those things where I'm like, okay, you know, I think, I think he's going to give it a fair shot. All right. Let's switch over and talk about the defense. Um, so here's a remarkable stat, uh, in 2019 and 2020, uh, uh, Wazoo was one of the worst defenses in college football in, in F plus defense statistics, uh, it was, uh, ranked hundred and then 115 in, in 2021. However, uh, with Jake Dickert, uh, at the helm, uh, they jumped all the way to number 43, uh, in F plus defense. And I like Jake Dickert, uh, like I, uh, as a defensive coordinator, I liked him when he was at Wyoming. Um, I like the structure of this defense as a, um, as a fit for the talent profile that Wazoo has. Um, it's one of the few four down fronts, uh, in the PAC 12 and they, they make it work for them, you know, sort of the speed defense married to a four down front. Like I dig it. But that said, I think that a huge amount of uh, the defensive improvement is really just comes down to one thing, which was uh, all the fumbles uh, that this defense um, enjoyed. Uh, in fact, uh, over 13 games, their opponents fumbled 27 times, which, Jeff, do you know where that ranked in FBS? Uh, it might be number one. It was number one. Yeah, the median number was fourteen, so uh, yeah. almost double the median number. We, um, we have cornered the market on the uh, force the fumble skill, and uh, I know that people disagree uh, about this. Um, <laughs> you will not find a single member of the advanced tests community who believes that like that 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 is a special skill that you can teach, and it's really hard to believe because like Georgia Georgia's opponents had fifteen fumbles, like half as many. Uh, and you know and they played two more games you know um it's yep. really hard for me to believe that like wazoo had access to some secret fumble forcing technique that georgia and and alabama etc cetera, etc cetera, you know didn't have access to it really just sort of strikes me that like fortune smiled on the cougs um, in 2021 and that that will probably regress in 2022 and the defense will um you know, for that reason alone, you know, not, not have such a high ranking and it won't be because Dickert like lost his touch or anything just because like that, that, that was sort of a, an illusion to begin with. What do you make of all that, Jeff? Do you think I'm wrong? No, I, I think, uh, I, I think foundationally, I think you're absolutely right. Like the, the that fumbling is the, ultimately the offense controls where they drop the ball. Right. Like, mm -hmm. so, uh, they, they control where they put the ball on the ground. They, the quarterback controls, whether he throws the ball in a place where the defense can catch it. Like, uh, you know, turnovers are ultimately in the offense's control. So, okay. So there's that, um, that said, you know, having gone through, you know, a, a, a number of iterations of this defense, right. And, and it, particularly if we just think in terms of the Mike Leach and after era, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the different coordinators that Leach went through, you know, starting with Mike Bresky, who was, you know, a dumpster fire, um, going to Alex Grinch, who was not a dumpster fire. 
um, and then going to Tracy Clays, who was not a dumpster fire and then was a dumpster fire. Yeah, that was really um, weird. That we're already yeah. running along for this podcast, but yeah, yeah. like Tracy Clay's career at Wazoo in Minnesota before was like really weird, man. It was utterly bizarre. The whole thing was utterly bizarre. Um, qu- you know, quits in the middle of the season and yeah, like just, liter- literally leaves town and never comes and like back. the scandal um, at Minnesota too. It's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, we, so we can do another three hours on so, Tracy Clay's alone. What I would say is though, after watching um th- those you know the sort of those ebbs and flows of the defense over the last um you know decade plus it's 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 sort of like i don't know man like i watched i watched grinch's defenses you know really build um you know really build their profile on you know you mentioned the speed d thing and that that's part of it but you know it's 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 about aggression it's about penetration and, and not just the not just aggression with um you know, up front, but also aggression with attacking the ball. And, and I do think, you know, I do think that there's something to that. Now I get that. Like, I, I know what the stats say. And again, I've said, you know, I'm, I'm extremely stats minded. Like I get it. Um, but I also like, I, like, I do think that there is something to, like you mentioned Georgia, right? Well, Georgia doesn't have to go in there and force fumbles, right? Georgia's just going to like, you know, decapitate you instead, you know? And so it's like, you know, they're not, necessarily needing to philosophically punch for the ball they're they're philosophically like hey we have the best athletes in the world and we're just going to crush you every time we get to the ball and maybe you'll drop it but it doesn't even matter if you don't because you'll only have gained you know six inches right like i mean that's that's the deal there you know but at washington state as you you know you mentioned the the talent profile right like you know you're going to get these guys who you know, potentially are pretty fast, but maybe undersized and, you know, maybe have some other issue or whatever. Um, but the one thing they can do is hustle to the ball. They can rally to the ball. You can get, you know, the first guy holding the guy up and the second guy, you know, punching at the ball. And yeah, ultimately it's whether the offense puts the ball on the ground. I mean, you know, we, we mentioned the Utah game, that insane, you know, seven fumbles. I mean, I'm pretty sure like four or five of them were just Utah dropping the ball, mm-hmm. you know, that like literally just, dropping the ball <laughs> on the ground no forcing no punching no stripping no nothing just utah going like ah hot potato you know so yes obviously some luck i think involved there but i also do think um that there is i, I do think that it is strategic i do think that there is at least some technique involved um i do think that there is a highly li- high likelihood that it regresses back um to something much more normal um so i, I just think that sort of all of these things can be true. And I also think that, um, you know, if the turnovers masked a little bit of the talent deficiencies that were left behind, uh, from the Mike Leach era, which, and there were many, you know, the D as you mentioned, the defense had fallen off a cliff, um, there at the end under Mike Leach. And it wasn't just Tracy clays and it wasn't just scheme. I mean, it was the talent had, had dropped Mm -hmm. off significantly. Um, you know, and so I think the idea is, all right, you know, now, okay. So even if it does regress, you know, the talent has, a, you know, guys like RJ stone, you know, guys like Brennan Jackson, yeah. you know, are out there. Derek Langford is, you know, turns into, you know, a really good corner after, you know, finally, you know, kind of growing a little bit last year, you know, there's, there's sort of all of these things where you go, okay, if they can improve here and here and here and here, and if Dion Henley steps in and is, you know, better than justice Rogers was, which I don't think is much of a leap, you know, mm-hmm. if Jordan Lee is better than, you know, who than Daniel Isom at safety, which I don't think is much of a leap, right? Like you just kind of go, there are all these places you can see where, okay, they could, 
you know, very easily get better there. And even if the fumbles go backwards, the defense is still reasonably effective. Well, let's start talking about the defensive line. And actually, we should split it into both the tackles and the ends, because like I said, this is a real four down front um, in which the tackles and ends play differently and in fact are coached differently. There's two different uh, coaches here, which is actually Utah uh, also does it that way. Um, And interestingly enough, the only retention on the staff from last year is the defensive ends coach, uh, AJ Cooper. Literally everybody else is gone. It's it's uh, Dickert and Cooper, the only guys who had jobs last summer who still have jobs with Cougs. Um, so Cooper's unit uh, returns, uh, in my opinion, two pretty good ends that uh, you mentioned, Ron Stone, Bren Jackson. I think those guys are, are, are pretty damn good. You know, frankly, are they, you know, surefire NFL guys? I, I don't think so. But like for this, you know, defensive system, I, you know, honestly, I, I think they're the best defensive players. You think I'm wrong? No, no, I think you're absolutely right. They are, they both took big steps forward last year, especially stone who, you know, there were, there were games where he was a force. I mean, he was that game against Utah. He was a one man wrecking crew for yeah. half that game. Um, which I think, I think really took Utah by surprise. Once they finally kind of figured out how to deal with him, um, then that, you know, that's, that's kind of when things turn around the second half. But, um, you know, I think he is, you know, really, really good. And, you know, Jackson, I think still has, um, some work to do to, to have that, that kind of an impact, but I think both show, you know, tons of promise and, and that's exciting because, um, you know, it's been, it's, it's, it's been a little while, um, since we've had really an edge rusher who could, um, you know, really scare offenses to some degree. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe as far back as like a, like a Frankie Louvu, maybe as I'm, as I'm trying to think, you know, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but yeah, they're they're both really good. Well, I I think, you know, just to peg exactly where their talent level is, uh, you know, that, that, when I watched them play against, you know, offensive tackles who I think, you know, do have pro prospects, you know, they were getting handled. Um, but when I was watching them play against offensive tackles who I do not think have future NFL prospects, which this is the Pac-12, that's like 10 out of 12, you know, opponents uh, in right. this league, um, they were winning. You know, they, they, they were beating off most offensive tackles in that, in this league. Um, you know, now that and 35 cents will get you a newspaper, but, uh, you know, like they are more than capable of beating most of the offensive tackles in this league, just not the really good ones. Fortunately, the Pac-12 doesn't have very many good ones. So, right. you know, that's where they're at. And then the backup situation looks, you know, pretty good, too, because they return uh, both Quinn Roth and uh, uh, Andrew Edson. Uh, Roth, I think, is a walk-on. Former walk-on, yep. I think he got a scholarship. Yeah, he did. Although I didn't see him in the spring game. Is he Is he okay? Not sure. It, again, it's, it's one of these things where... <laughs> our our program is not covered to the degree that most other Pac-12 programs are. Yeah, so it's about that? the uh, the the amount of information that that trickles out sometimes is not um, not on par with with others. That's why you got to go to Coog Center. That's I, the place I know. To get yeah, all right. America. Well, I guess I would be a little worried there because and here's the reason why they they lost Willie Taylor, who's you know had been around yep. forever. He was sort of like when the scheme changed from the three down front. He was sort of a um, on the losing end of that, uh, yep. unfortunately. But like he was, you know, he knew what he was doing out there. Uh, they lose him. They lose a couple other guys who didn't play Xavier Young, Marquise Freeman. Um, 
but nobody else has any experience. Like there's three other returners, um, Rom Stevenson, Lawrence Falatea, and uh, Gabriel uh, Lopez, but I don't think any of those guys played. I think they were all freshmen last year. Um, they've yeah. got a, a 2022 recruit, Rashad McKenzie, but I don't think he was on campus for the spring. And so it's like you need four. You know, you really do uh, for this kind of rotation. And if like and if Roth is not available, if he's got like a, a serious injury that's still ongoing that like I don't I'd, I'd be hard pressed to identify who the fourth guy in the rotation is. Who who do you think it would be? Probably Gabriel Lopez. Uh, he played a little bit last. Yeah. Last year is a true fan. Um, not, not that it was with any sort of distinction, but, but he did play. So, you know, that, that would be my guess. I know that, you know, we talked about moon Ashby. He was, he was a converted edge um, yeah. over to tight end. So, so he's obviously off the table now, Rom Stevenson, you know, you hear his name sort of bandied about a little bit from time to time, but I think that's probably it. I mean, obviously I, I think somebody is going to have to do something just because, yeah. um, you know, the, the idea that all of those guys are going to make it through the year healthy is, uh, you know, yeah, that's uh, no, I mean, if they do it's a little bit of yeah, a pipe dream. I mean, I mean, that's just how it goes with a, you know, like I, I promise I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound or anything, but like that's just how it goes with a yeah. team that has Wazoo's talent profile, which is no, absolutely. Needs to be said, like at, that's at the bottom true. of the Pac 12 and sort of comparable to a Mountain West team, is that like if the four dudes in the rotation stay healthy, I, I like these defensive ends. If a single one of them is unavailable, you, you don't have a blue chip stepping in, you know, like it, it's, it's right. untested freshmen and it's kind of like, uh Oh, um, so we'll just have to say prayers that all those guys stay healthy defensive tackles, yep. uh, sort of, you know, looks almost exactly the same here in that they lose, um, Dallas Hobbs who would, you know, another Richard senior who'd been around forever, but was sort of a, a loser in the, uh, the, the sweepstakes of when the scheme changed. Yeah. He didn't play very um, much last year and nor did, uh, Jesus Echevarria or, or Nicholas Sheets or Nathaniel James. I have all four of those guys leaving, but like, I don't have a whole lot of snaps for any of those guys. Instead, what I have are, you know, the, uh, Christian Meja and, uh, Amir Mujahid, um, who I think were the starters last year. Uh, also Amir. Crowder and Antonio Poulet, who I think were the backups, although they were rotating, you know, so yep. frequently that sort of like it's sort of yep. difficult to differentiate. Heavy rotation. You know, re returning all essentially returning all four dudes in the rotation. I don't really expect the rotation to change, but I also like zero experience for anybody else here. Um, you know, I'd be worried about an injury and I'd be sort of praying that the transfer from Virginia, Nusi Milani, works out, except that guy didn't get a whole lot of experience yeah. last year. I think he played in like two games yeah. and he had like three snaps so like that you know yeah. i sort of put him in the category with the other guys like gusta and gray harris and Lawrence and souza where it's like i don't know that i could rely on uh, on on that guy or any of the other inexperienced returners i think if the four dudes from the last year's rotation are all available then great if any of them um is unavailable then uh-oh that that's my take do you think i'm wrong I'm a little, I'm not sure on this one, you know, Mujahid and uh, Pule were both sort of pleasant surprises last year. I, you know, we kind of went into the year thinking, Oh my God, you know, what's, what's the interior defensive line going to be like, this is a disaster. Um, and both those guys, you know, played pretty well. Amir Crowder, you know, played a bunch and, and played reasonably well. Mejia played, you know, played a bunch, played reasonably well. I, I think that this is a, you know, where, where we were talking about before with uh, Jaden Delora, where we were like, you know, if he's your quarterback, um, your, your, your floor is probably pretty high, but your ceiling is probably pretty low. I, I honestly think that's a pretty good way to characterize these defensive tackles where it's like, look, is, is there any guy in here, you know, is there a, 
you know, a guy in here who's going to wreck shop, a guy in here who's going to destroy defensive lines. You know, is there a Hercules Mata Afa in here? Obviously, no. <laughs> you know, there's not that guy in there. But I do think that, you know, they might run five, six deep when all is said and done. Um, I do think they like Milani. Um, like I said, you know, Mujahid played well, you know, Mejia's played. I, I, I think they like Gary Harris too, Ty Gary Harris. Um, you know, he's a guy who's, who they've kind of been, you know, beefing up, uh, for a couple of years. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, again, nobody there that's going to be going to wow you, or you're going to think, you know, is, is, uh, you know, being completely disruptive, uh, to the other team, but just a bunch of guys who, um, you know, can solidly do their jobs and, you know, fill up some space and, and allow the, you know, the linebackers to, to rally and, and tackle. I, I think, I think that they honestly, this is the position group I'm worried the least about. Um, not necessarily hmm. because, you know, I think that they're, you know, incredible or anything, but I just think that I, I just think they have enough bodies there that that can do a job that um, I'm not super concerned. Yeah, I don't I, I mean, I don't think I share that take. Uh, well, I guess I'll put it this way. The four returners, I think if they're all healthy, I, I think are fine. I, I would be really worried because in the structure of a four down defense, like those guys aren't just space fillers, you know, like those guys got to do stuff and like, and there's zero reps. I mean, there's zero reps for Gusta, there's zero reps for Gray Harris, you know, um, there's practically zero reps for Milani. Like I, I'd be really worried um, that, that, that those guys are not prepared to be anything more than a space filler and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'd, I'd be praying for those guys, the four, you know, top returners to be healthy. Yeah. Let's talk about those linebackers. Uh, again, some iconic departures here, Jihad uh, Woods and Justice Rogers, um, who'd been there, God, forever since the Obama administration. <laughs> Both um, of them. <laughs> and, and also Dylan Sherman, who in the past had been, you know, the third guy in the rotation, yeah. but I, I don't think he was playing yep. last year. Um, yeah, he, 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 two, two years of injuries. He just kind of, yeah. there, there was, he, you know, some people's bodies aren't made to play football. And I think that that's kind of where he landed. So last year I asked you uh, at this time, uh, I asked you whether or not they're going to try to rotate more, some of the backups, because they know that Rogers and Woods and Sherman are not going to be around anymore. And uh, you said, I don't know, maybe. Uh, and, and it turned out they did, they were uh, rotating in Travion Brown and uh, Francisco Maigoa and uh, Kyle Thornton um, quite a bit. I think those guys are probably your starters. And then the the, the interesting question is uh, the transfer from uh, uh, Nevada, you know, who came in with Brian Ward, the new defensive coordinator, and, and I believe also the linebackers coach. Yep. Diane Henley. Um, I don't know. How do you how do you think it shakes out? I, I think probably it's either Brown Mygoa or Brown Henley. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'd be shocked if Henley doesn't start. Um, okay. I think that both for you think he's the real deal. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, how's, how's that for an answer? I put on some Nevada tape to try to, because he was like their leading tackler, right? But like yeah. a lot of times with like linebackers, just because you're a leading tackler doesn't actually mean that you're a good linebacker. Sure. It just be, it could sure. be that the system funnels stuff to you. And sure. like, it kind of just looked like the system was funneling stuff. To, I mean, yeah, that, that's why, yep. you know, I don't know. Like if you formed an opinion about Henley being the real deal or not. I, okay. So, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, you know, we talked, we talked a little while ago about, you know, linear progression, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who was a quarterback in high school who then mm. walked on, who then was a wide receiver. He walked on as a wide receiver who then was a returner, who then got converted to linebacker. And then finally was like, Oh, 
linebacker works and wild ride that's where he is yeah so it his his story yeah look up his story sometime like it is it's crazy what where he's been and what he's done and um so there's a part of me that thinks like i mean it's possible this guy is just still like scratching the surface of what he can do now college is kind of an odd thing because you know you only get so much time right so even if you're just you know you make a position change you're just scratching the well you know two years and your eligibility is gone right it's like but you know he gets that extra year he gets the extra covid year and now he's um stepping up to to the pac 12 and um so i i think that he's i think he's pretty locked in as that that middle linebacker i think you know whoever plays now i you mentioned the rotations last year. I, you know, I have no reason to believe they wouldn't, you know, rotate again this year. Um, so I, I think he's probably the starter. Um, obviously, you know, Mao Goa is, is kind of that other guy in there um, with that Travian Brown, it, you know, it, that's a really interesting one because the, the athleticism is so damn tantalizing. Like he is yeah. just, um, Wait, so he's, he was he's the most talented guy on paper yes. in the room, but like we've been waiting not, for years to see it. <laughs> But that's the thing is he came in in 2019 and like, I've I've been waiting for three years to watch this guy, you know, like, why aren't you beating out, you know, Woods and Rogers who like, I agree with your, what you implied about them. Um, And it just didn't happen. Right. And the, 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 he's just oozing talent. I mean, he's recruited by Ken Wilson, right? You guys know Ken Wilson. So um, recruited by Ken Wilson, probably the crown jewel of, of Ken Wilson's linebacker recruiting when he was a wazoo and um, you know, really talented kid. Just, just like, it's just, you're just waiting for it all to click. Like he, he'll make these, you know, unbelievable athletic plays, but also maybe, um, you know, maybe thinking a little too much, maybe a little slow to react sometimes, you know, kind of that kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm not well-versed in the finer points of, of every defensive scheme. It just seems like, you know, maybe not, um, not a guy when, when a guy has that much talent and he's not playing, but he's playing some, you know, it's just sort of like, it's almost like, okay. So when you start trying to infer what might be going on, you go, okay, they probably just don't trust him. And they're trying to take advantage of what he can do and put him in situations where he can succeed and be judicious about what they do with that. So maybe this theory makes the leap. I I would love that. That'd be fantastic. But I, Mm. I, you know, I think that's what it is. If I were, if I were a betting man, I think I would say it's probably him and Henley. I think that's probably, probably the pairing. Um, But you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sh- I'm not sure. And then the other thing is I, I'm not real. I mean, we're, we're, it's sort of a question mark, you know, unlike what we were talking about with the defensive linemen, where it's like they're returning for, you know, experienced, you know, starter slash rotation, you know, guys like we're worse. We sort of have a question mark attached to Brown. We sort of have a question mark attached to whether Henley is, is the real deal. And then we, you know, it, and then, I, you know, there's not a ton of depth, right? Like, I, I don't know about Magoa or, or Thornton, you know, being able to step in if there's an injury. And then that's it. You know, I think that's the, you know, there there's Ben Wilson and, and Gavin Barthiel. I think the only two other guys on scholarship, they didn't play. And yep. uh, and then there's like three walk-ons um, and, yep. and a couple of uh, true freshmen. Uh, it's sort of like if if somebody gets hurt here, like even assuming that Brown and Henley both you know, reproduce what Woods and Rogers were producing for Wazoo the last several years. If one of those guys is unavailable for a game, I'm sort of like, uh Oh, um, yep. 
is sort of my attitude about the linebacker quarter. Like yep. I, it's just like playing the percentages. This seems like, even though I agreed with your assessment about Woods and Rogers, you know, athletic ceilings that like, I just playing the percentages. I have to feel like this is linebacker group is a step back. Um, Cause like something's yeah. going to go wrong and, and it'll be a problem. No, I think that's totally fair. Like, Look, Justice Rogers, you know, God bless him. <laughs> like, you know, played his ass off, was a great coog. Um, you know, would would frustrate the heck out of me sometimes. Although I think he had a really good year last year. Like, and that and that happens. We we've seen that sure. at Wazoo happen with guys where they they finally just get enough snaps under their, especially at linebacker, they just finally get enough snaps under their belt to where all of a sudden it's like, oh, they have figured it out. And, and I felt like that, I, I felt like that a lot last year with Justin, Justice Rogers. Um, and then I felt like, you know, Jihad Woods finally got kind of back into being himself, which is um, not trying to make every play by himself, um, you know, and, and really just sort of being assignment sound and and using his speed to, to try and, you know, disrupt some things. So, you know, I, I felt like they, they were steady Eddie last year replacing both those guys i think henley at the very least you know again familiarity with the system you know all the things we said about cam ward i think that applies to henley um you know following his coordinator um to to wazoo Mm -hmm. so i think i think that's part of it um you know thornton you know when he was pressed into duty last year a couple times you know actually looked okay you know Mm -hmm. i don't know how okay he would look in any kind of um extended run you know maui goa you know i i they, they played him a lot. So, you know, we'll see, um, you know, for a true freshman, that was a pretty good accomplishment. So that was great. Um, you know, I don't know if he strikes me as more of an inside guy. So we'll, we'll kind of see what, you know, what they've got there, but, um, you know, it it provided Henley can stay healthy. you know, I I think they're going to, I think they're going to ride him as long and as hard as, as they can ride him. Um, you know, and Brown, you know, if something were to happen to Henley, I wouldn't be shocked if they, you know, put Brown inside, they, you know, he, they played him inside a little bit last year. I never saw him as an inside guy, but I know they played him there. So he really, he played both at times. And so, you know, <laughs> who knows, man, They're, they'll mix and match until they find but something that, that you're, works you're expecting them to stick with a four two five on pretty much every snap though. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, I think so. All right. Let's talk about the secondary. Uh, cause I'm definitely going to need your help with the secondary. Um, <laughs> I need your, what are you talking about? I need your help. <laughs> uh, first of all, ton of departures here, right? Uh, yes. George Hicks, Daniel Isom, Jalen Watson, Tyrone Hill, Elijah Jabril, uh, two guys that I saw in the spring game, uh, Alphonse Oywak and, uh, uh, Jamel Blenman, um, transferred out after the spring game. Uh, um, you know, just uh, boy, uh, uh, a lot of departures. Um, on the other hand, uh, returning a lot of guys who played because this defense rotated guys like, uh, you know, like they were trying to figure out who was a good um, defensive back and not <laughs> kind of uh, right. being stumped on that question. So actually, let me stop there. Those seven departures, did I miss anybody? Anybody else left the team that I missed? If if you did, I don't know who it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot to keep track of, man. It's a lot to keep track I, of. I think the significant returners are, are uh, Amani Marsh, um, Derek Langford, yep. Chow Smith-Wade, who got, I think, like the third most of all the returning tacklers, although I didn't see him in the spring game. Caleb Forb, Dement, and then like four guys who got a handful of snaps so I don't care about. Uh, but those are the, the significant ones. Marsh, Langford, Smith-Wade, Ford, Dement. Yep. 
Those yep. those guys are all coming back. I figured that Marsh and Langford have starters job locked down. Yes, I would be I would be stunned if they didn't. Marsh, I think, is a nickelback. Langford, I think, is an outside corner, yes. right? Yep. Yep, that's correct. They're taking two. Well, they took a bunch of transfers, but I think the significant ones are uh, Jordan Lee, um, who, again, coming from Nevada with Brian Ward. Yep. I think he's going to play boundary safety. Um, so I, I think we got three of the starters, you know, penciled in pretty comfortably. I think that they're going to go with Sam Lockett, a Juco who came in and I was seeing all over the spring game. In fact, he got an interception. In fact, Blenman was the guy who chest pounded him uh, during the interception uh, <laughs> in, and then transferred yeah. out. He's apparently that was his highlight as a kook. Yeah. Uh, so I think we got four of them figured out. Uh, we got the the free safety, Sam Lockett, the boundary safety, Jordan Lee, uh, one of the corners, Derek Langford, the nickelback, Monty Marsh. And then I give up. Uh, who's the other <laughs> cornerback and who are the backups? Because I don't know that they have good answers to those questions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I know either. Um, I think that so one. OK, so let's let's kind of run down some of these different names. Chris Jackson is one um, transfer for Michigan State. Uh-huh. Uh, didn't play a whole lot last year. Um, kind of got the sense that maybe he was a little a little lost in what mm. they were asking for. Um, but, I you know, he's one of those guys where you, you kind of hear his name pop up. You know, like, uh, you know, you know, when they start, you know, who had a good day at, at practice and coach, like, ah, da, da, you know, you hear Chris Jackson's name come up, right? Like, oh, we're still still thinking about Chris Jackson. Now, whenever coaches talk, that's, you know, sometimes they're just talking to the player yeah, yeah, and not yeah. really talking to you and, you know, whatever. Right. But, you know, that's a guy um, Armani Archie, you know, our other Armani. It took me about a year to, to figure out the difference between Armani Archie and Armani Marsh. Uh, but thankfully, I figured that out at this point now. Um, it's another guy they like. And, and then uh, Shaw Smith Wade, you know, who you mentioned, um, again, they're very high on him. Dickert likes to tell the story that they they were trying to recruit him to Wyoming because they liked him that much. And then uh, and they thought they were they thought they were going to get him. And then Washington State swooped in and got him. And then and then uh, Dickert went ahead and got hired at Washington State. It, and as the worm turns. So, yeah. Right. So, I, you know, I think you know, if they had their druthers, um, I think he's the guy, I think that's, I think they feel like he has just being held out in the spring game. I, again, not really sure. Yeah. Not really sure. Injuries are not a thing that they really talk about ever. What do you think about Caleb (laughs) Forb Dement? He was the guy who I was seeing play the other cornerback spot in the spring game. Although I can't say I was super wild about him. I, I think, uh, I think last year he played safety. Mm. Um, so, you know, this could, it could have been an experimental yeah. um, situation. That's, trying to that's see why I got. say I wanted your help is I had a hard time. Yeah. So, you know, but, but even then it was, it was pretty sparing, um, you know, transferred from old dominion. So an up transfer, um, you know, he's again, and when he transferred, it was sort of a, eh, okay. You know, it's like, it's, it's another body on the pile. Um, so, you know, that, that could be it. And then, you know, I, the one guy we haven't mentioned yet is Cam Lampkin. Mm-hmm. um transfer from utah state right you know that could be he you know he was like a you know, solid backup for them yeah uh, yep so you but also you know an experienced guy who um you know could potentially you know come in and 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 you know as is, is weird as this sounds they just not screw up right yeah. so um you know that could be part of a situation there too um you know it's 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 yeah it's tough to say um i i have a feeling that our 
uh, confusion with it is is probably not that far away from the coaching staffs. Well, it's <laughs> situation. It, it's tough not to make that inference. I mean, like, well, here's another a uh, couple other data points, which is um, one is they took a transferred uh, just a couple of days ago um, uh, from Washington, Case uh, and Kinchin, um, who was. He was like a, a mid three star who had offers from a couple of programs, but decided to walk on at Washington because like that was back when their defensive backs were good. Yeah. He literally just wanted to play for Jimmy Lake. Like that yeah. was he's from and, Washington, wanted to play in the DB factory. And, and that now that it. that is not um, an option for anybody, uh, he transferred across the state, you know, and they just picked him up. And then, you know, so I don't know, you know, we haven't really he never played at Washington. We, I'm not we don't even, know. I'm not even sure he's getting a scholarship. Yeah, right. I'm not sure either. Like, you know, I'm just pointing it out as, as a data point. And the other data point yeah. is that they, they took, yep. you know, five true freshmen um, in this class, none of whom were uh, yep. on campus for spring. And, you know, my my inference from, you know, taking four different, you know, transfers, right? Lee, Lampkin, Kinchin, and Lockett, five true freshmen. And then the rest of this group, you know, as you mentioned, Ford Dement from uh, Old Dominion, Chris Jackson from uh, Michigan State. Like the, the reason why this is so shot through with um, true freshmen and transfers is that everybody else who we haven't mentioned, like the other Armani and Justin Anderson and Hunter Escoria and Adrian Shepard and so forth, like these guys are never going to be ready to play. And, uh, and the, the you know they're scrambling to to find a solution to this problem, and, and, and those were the data points that I was bringing up, and that's why I say that like okay, I can get to four starters, but I don't know who the fifth starter is. I don't know who any of the backups are, and I don't really have any confidence in any of the returners being playable um, for the scramble reasons. Do you think I'm off base there? Nope, nope. I'll just leave it at that. I think yep. you're. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, all right. But fair. I wish, I wish Question more of mark. our guests answered questions in that way. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, that's, you know, like so many other positions, right? I mean, it's, you know, you got your top line guys, if they all stay healthy, you feel pretty good. And well, you know, a lot, a lot of question marks behind them. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's just the deal with, with wazoo and like i said i'm not i'm not trying to make anybody feel bad well, here but it's just like no, it's no, the nature I, of a talent profile like this is that we like know. is that if you if yeah. you if you fight and struggle and and scratch and claw that you can put together a one deep yeah um i mean this some is, guys this who is can no, punch above their listen, weight class but but like <laughs> be, if anybody gets hurt it's bad news you're not saying anything that we don't know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, you look at 2018 and, and that whole run and, and we were remarkably healthy, you know, yeah. and we had a remarkably experienced squad and that in traditionally in Washington state history, when our best teams have had those two formulas. I mean, like I said, I was, uh, you know, I was a junior at Wazoo when we went to the Rose bowl in 97 with Ryan leaf and that whole crew again, remarkable, remarkable like probably the healthiest team I've ever seen in my life. Sure. You know, just that sort of deal. Like they had these five stud wide receivers. They all played all year. I think there was one guy who missed, uh, I want to say maybe Kevin McKenzie missed a game or something, but anyway, it was just like, it, it was, <laughs> you know, the running back played all year and then got hurt in the Rose bowl. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh shit, our running back got hurt in the, our all world running back got hurt in the Rose bowl. And then yeah, that was, that was kind of we, the end of the Rose bowl. So, yeah, right. You know, these things happen and this is, this is who we are. We know it. It's not, it's not shade. You know, it's, it really is the truth. And, um, you know, it, it gets real dicey after that. And, and I would argue that it's even more dicey 
um, at this point because of the turmoil of the last couple of years. And that's not something we've really touched on um, too much other than sort of the opener, but, but it really has had an effect. The the defense was, um, you know, at the end of the Mike Leach, the defense was really suffering, had suffered from some pretty serious neglect. Um, You know, you, you have a coaching change, that whole thing turns out to be a total disaster. Um, you know, you're just kind of trying to keep it afloat. You see all these transfers. Um, you know, I mean, I can tell you for a fact that there was some pretty toxic stuff going on behind the scenes uh, in the program with Dickert, and not, not with Dickert, excuse me, with Rolovich, and then with uh, the guys who left with him. Um, you know, there, there just was some not good stuff. And it it is, you know, what you're seeing is the remnants of a roster construction that was um, that has sort of been undermined in a number of different ways, uh, over the last couple of years. And, you know, they've done their best to kind of keep it afloat and the transfers have made, I, I think will make a world of difference this year, um, in a way that, you know, that there had that not been the case, this, this roster really could have bottomed out to some degree. And, and I think they have staved that off a little bit. And I think the plan is to just really try to kind of, you know, keep it afloat until they can really build it the way they want to build it. And, um, you know, if things go right, then, you know, there's a pretty good chance you're looking at a, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of our conversation here, but a pretty good chance you're looking at a six to eight win team. And, you know, if things go sideways, you, you know, you could be looking at three or four win team. Well, well, you nailed it here, Jeff. You've been on the show clearly because that's the next question <laughs> Sorry, we're man. asking here. Well, for the, for the non-Wazoo fans that don't know this right off the, you know, right off the bat here this schedule so you're starting against an old well someone who used to kind of be kicking around in the pack uh whatever it was the pcc or whatever the idaho vandal yeah yeah coming up to pullman washington uh you'd hope that's a win and then at wisconsin that's gonna be nuts um versus colorado state that is uh that's a scary game actually i don't i don't know just because there's not much to gain from it um and then so as far as pac 12 play is concerned you're gonna miss ucla but you're also gonna miss colorado colorado is probably a team you want to play um and then road games at usc at oregon state uh at stanford and at arizona that's nice at least um so you said six to eight wins we're gonna make you choose the exact number jeff you know how <laughs> what number are you gonna say? just yeah. look like a genius if you nail this one yeah i'll go with six i'll go with six um you know i i do think that that the schedule is manageable um you know i don't see any you know super duper troubling runs where you're like oh no that's you know, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Like this is, you know, trap games or whatever. I mean, they go four out of five at home to open the year. Um, you know, three of those games are very winnable, Idaho, Colorado state, California. Um, you know, and then of course, or we get Oregon at home. So, you know, who knows, maybe there's some, some magic there at Wisconsin. Um, that's probably just going to be all of our fans, you know, enjoying drinking in Madison <laughs> would be, if my you guess. can drink uh, Madison which, dry. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Which good there luck, are way. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I have heard that, uh, you know, that that is going to be epic just to kind of yeah, watch the two the fan bases do what they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think that, you know, if they can, I think the expectation would be you get three of those, um, you know, three of those five, probably Idaho, Colorado state, California, um, you know, probably lose Wisconsin, Oregon. 
Um, you know, at USC, probably a loss at Oregon, probably a win, uh, Utah at home. Yeah. Don't they, I love it. At, at Oregon yeah, state, man. It's, it's like, just, you know, they were in my heart stadium last year, man. Yeah. Hand to my heart. You know, it's it really like legitimately, I, I feel the same way about <laughs> Oregon state that I felt about Washington, which is, you know, Washington was like, man, I'm just going to assume we're losing them all until proven otherwise. Um, I'm just going to, with Oregon state, I'm just going to assume we're winning them all nice. until proven yeah. otherwise. So <laughs> Um, so that's how I'm rolling with that. Uh, Utah, you know, man, we just, uh, that one, obviously Utah is really tough, but like the bigger thing there is it's a Thursday game. Um, Utah has to travel to us. I don't know who Utah plays the week before that. Um, which could be, could be a thing that has an impact. Um, so, you know, that one could be one we get, but at Stanford, very winnable versus Arizona state, very winnable at Arizona, very winnable. They have a bye. The, versus Washington, both, very winnable. It's a so, Thursday game. So both teams have the bye going. Both teams it. have a bye. Okay. Well, that's good. They, they finally figured that out. Um, so that's good. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I think in there, you know, at least, I think at least six, I think six is very reasonable, um, against that schedule. Like I said, I could, I could see a scenario where they push up to push up to seven or eight, um, eight would be sort of my best case scenario. Um, six would be sort of my median scenario. And then like four would be like, if all those injuries that Hitler day won't let go uh, actually happen, (laughs) then, then yeah, like, like, you know, four wins or if they, you know, come out and stub their toe against Idaho and lose to Colorado state and lose to Cal, you know, like somehow (laughs) drop, you know, four of their first five air raid wazoo team losing an opener to an FCS team. Don't even, don't even, I, well, Idaho's really shitty. Yeah. (laughs) So I, you know, that, that should theoretically be impossible, but you know, nothing is impossible for us. So, well, Jeff, thanks so much once again for joining the quack 12 and, and just talking to us for so damn long about these Washington state Cougars. <laughs> we really do appreciate it. And once again, everyone at pod versus everyone at pod VS everyone. And then at Coog center is where you can find them on Twitter, but just go visit Coog center too. Uh, Cause I mean, like we were saying, that's where you're going to get all the, the wazoo uh, info that you're really dying for. And uh, Hithliday, you can find his work at Addicted to Quack, either on Twitter or the actual website where you can read his duck dives, in which he's going to be diving into this Coop uh, team. And then Quack 12 Podcast, we got a Twitter account. I mean, you know us, we got a website, got a Patreon, even if you want to pay for this crap. Uh, Jeff, again, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Always my pleasure. It's great talking to you. All right, and go. Cougs. Yes, I said it. Yes. Yeah. Okay.